You've tuned in to another episode of the Adeptus Terror podcast, hosted by Sam, Matt, and Neil. Put your feet up and enjoy. Hello, and welcome to episode 73. I think I got that number right. I'm Matt. I'm Sam. And here we are with another episode in the same room, Sam. It's very exciting. I'm it's very, very weird. Feels odd. There we go. Feels very odd. Feels very but odd. But very good. I'm excited to be able to bounce off each other rather than through a a laptop screen uh and if i have to see another zoom quiz i'm i'm gonna what's wrong with zoom oh i'm done with the quiz you're done with the quizzes i'm done yeah to be fair i haven't had to do one for the last month or so and it's been bliss it has been we did we did a several didn't we We did uh with a few of our friends literally did like one every other week for like a month or two and i think well not even that long than that like probably three months and it was just like I had alternate ones with my family as well. So yeah. it was like every week we had a quiz and I hated it. Yeah, it was a bit too much. I'm not saying I hate people, but I hate people. Yeah, it was it was a bit too much, especially like over a screen you can't connect in the same way. No. So it's very good to be back in the studio in brackets. <laughs> the room that Matt stores the crap in. Yeah. It's got some uh, lovely uh, Warhammer sprues and flight cases and tables and a Mac over there and yeah, lots of stuff. Basically in a storage room, because go us. Yeah, storage. <laughs> One day we'll have a proper studio. Yeah, at your house I'll when you build, build it. it. Yeah, I'll yeah. have to build it first. Uh, but anyway, let's get on with the episode. Uh, lots to go through. Uh, looking forward to our spotlight, which is on the Ashen Claws. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, um, obviously, one thing we do need to say is, obviously, Neil isn't with us today. No. Because he's dead. <laughs> Don't know. You can't do that. It was a horrific cargo accident. Um, he got crushed under the mountain of toilet roll. Ah, so every, toilet roll is in demand still. It is. Uh, go lockdown two point Yeah. Ugh. You wait. That will be it. Next month we'll be in another lockdown. Yeah, and we'll, we'll be, be away back. again. Oh god, That's it's gonna be awful. We can figure it out. No. Anyway, <laughs> with the news that Neil has apparently died, <laughs> perished in a mountain of TP. Ah. Oh. Um, we're going to move on. So the next hangout date will be October 25th, day after my birthday. Is it? Yeah. Oh, I forgot you're old. And I'm going to host. Is that okay? Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Okay. Um, it'll be cool because Saturday will be my birthday, which is nice, not normally on a weekend. What are you doing? I don't know. What are we doing? We just go to a pub. Yeah. Well, if we're still allowed to go to the pub. <laughs> it's a, lot, a long way away still. <laughs> if not, we could have a fire. We'll do something, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, it'll be cool to celebrate that. And then, yeah, next day I get to have a hangout and maybe do some hobby on some stuff uh, with other guys and just chat and hang out. Uh, they've been really nice over the lockdown. I've really enjoyed being part of them. Uh, I've dropped in, I think, a couple now that I didn't host, mm. uh, which I don't always get to do. And um, I've ho- obviously hosted one or two, and they've been really good. Lots of people attending, uh, more since we've done Facebook Rooms. Yep. Uh, more than the 10 cap on Google Hangout. Um, so, yeah, it's been really, really encouraging. Please come and join us and hang out for any amount of time. Uh, they're half seven to half ten 
on the last Sunday of the month, most of the time. Most of the time. And I think you've got one literally tomorrow, tomorrow. right? Looking forward um, to it. Yeah, and then by the time this is out, October 25th, with me, who knows if Sam's there, but even if he isn't, we'll have a good time. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> well, I, I won't be there, so you won't have fun facts. Mm. So alongside our spotlight of the Ashen Claws, we're also doing our book club this month, 40K, and this month, Double Eagle. Can't wait. Yeah, Plains Galore. Um, so yeah, I'm really looking forward to this episode. I think it's going to be a good one first back in the, again, studio in brackets. <laughs> Storage room. Um, what else do we need to update on before we jump in? 2020V? Yeah, so it's been going on. I've been a bit lax. A lot been going on this month for me. And um, yeah, just replying and kind of encouraging people. So I'm sorry, I have seen all of your posts and they have been recorded. Um, similar number still going strong. There's been one or two who've jumped on uh, late into the game, but still earning those entries into our prizes, uh, which is really cool. I'd love to see that number trickle up even now, a few months to go. Um, but yeah, 2020 V going really well. Um, guys are painting some amazing figures. Um, one of my highlights, I think, every month is seeing Chris Collins, who is doing the Death Corps of Creek, just did the cavalry. Did you see them? They are pretty good. Oh, uh, nice. It's, it's, um, I've got too many projects. Not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those ones that kind of grabs you, right? The thing is, thing is, it, even if I don't do them as an army, I want to buy the unit and paint it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I feel like they will be an absolute pain to paint because mm. because obviously horses and 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 painting uh, fur or or, or skin etc. is is super difficult anyway. Let alone on that kind of size of a model. Mm. And there's no on them from looking at the four pages. There's no texture. There's no real um, way of telling if uh, there's no real way of telling if. Um, you painted it right, or if it looks right, mm. or, or realistic. I think that's it for me. The realisticness is like I don't think I'm be good at it. Like, yeah, a lot, lots of washing, I would imagine, on the on the hide. Yeah, hide of an animal. Maybe I'll do them. I'll do them eventually. It'll be cool to see them. But yeah, I've really enjoyed seeing his posts as well as loads of others. But yeah, keep going, keep getting them in. I literally today, the couple more for September have popped up. Still got a week or so. I mean, when this comes out, it'll probably be October. So, hey, you've got a whole month to get uh, an entry in, even if you've never done it before. Uh, ask us for the rule pack. You can find it in our, I think, our announcements on the Community Safe Room. We posted it on our um, actual Facebook page, and there's a link in our Instagram bio. So it's easy to find. Learn the rules. Come join in. Very, very easy and accessible. Um, but anyway, news from Terra. I think we've done enough. Yes. Do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. So Sprue Corner we're going to start with. So building, um, I've been, managed to do a bit of building. So I think last episode I talked about um, changing up my Ultramarines list and adding a allied solar auxilia couple of units. Um, and I got the opportunity to build, um, well, I say rip off a load of arms and glue a load of arms back on to my uh, Tempestus Scions um, that are becoming my Flamer section. So it's ten dudes in a in a vehicle with flamers. I'm Just... pretty sure there's a photo of them on the the Instagram. Is there? I think um, so. No. no, no, not 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 your recent creation. But oh, the originals. The originals. Yeah, probably. Um, yeah, I just ripped off the arms and the backpacks and have kind of scrounged. I think most of the flamers. I think I need two more sets because the Imperial Guard flamers don't actually match up with the Scion torsos very well. Mm. Um, so I need to get two more. 
scion sets so the flamer the two arms um and yes i need to hunt those down in bit sites i guess and then get those to finish that unit but yeah actually thinking about it there's only painted models on there so most of it's my stuff hey scions are all fully painted they're not well, they now. were. They're not now. <laughs> They're going to get repainted in the Ultramarine scheme. I like but... it that you've done that. I like it that you've done the, like, the only fully painted unit you've ever done. No, and, that's not true. And you ripped the arms off. I've got a three thousand point Night Lords Force. Uh, no, you don't. Not yes, anymore. No, you, no, you don't yeah. anymore. You've changed it. Yeah, I still own all the other models. Mm. I've got that four K. Mm. I just got the the rest to paint in my new list which is probably going to change again. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's what I've built, basically. Seven out of the nine Flamer guys that I need to do. I've built the Sergeant as well. Good. Um, but yeah, that's me in building. Cool. So what have I built? That's a good, uh, that's a good question. Um, I uh, bought a 20-man Assault Squad to actually finish off my uh, 3,000 points force. Um, so they're built. I say built their, their bodies on, on uh, paper clips. Um, which actually putting stuff on paper clips is so much easier when you when you use an actual drill rather than a Archimedes drill. Like yeah. when you actually just bust out the battery drill that I bought. It's not my my adult purchases for this month. <laughs> I bought a drill instead of borrowing my father in laws all the time. I now own my own. <laughs> um, it's, it's incredibly easy to do that. I mean, it does kick up a lot of dust, which does make you sort of like see stars when you breathe it in. But it's fine. <laughs> um, and then uh, so I built those in uh, body torso um, arms the guns are off the, the chain swords are off the backpacks are off the heads are off the shoulder pads are off because they'll all be painted separately they've been washed um, took a lot of time to wash them like, yeah, like get all the releasing agent off yeah it just, it just they just always felt greasy still mm. um, I think I probably need another one once or twice in um, but I also built uh, the Blood Angel Assault Dreadnought um, ah. So this is the the Blood Angel 30k Dreadnought that can um, deep strike and uh, deep strike, or it can use its jump pack once per turn, or it can use it um, anyway. So I built that, um, and 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 we all know that Contemptors, although normally the first thing people buy and build, tend to look horrific when anyone builds them. <laughs> like they're very like posing think, is interesting. Posing is super difficult. Like I think actually for for Contemptors. Um, it's really difficult to pose them yeah. to look dynamic. Like my first one I built, I know it basically was stood straight upright with his arms poked out to the front, mm. um, very much like "Come give me a hug" style uh, kind of pose. Um, so it's super weird, and 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 there's very few that I found that don't look uh, static. Mm. I wanted the dynamic, so I think I've done it. Cool. I'm not too sure, um, but anyway, I it, it's got one leg raised. Leaning slightly, for, leaning slightly forwards over a piece of slate from my garden. Cool. Um, so it looks a little bit like it's moving. Um, but what I did with with him um, is uh, I actually magnetized because he comes with twin. Um, their special name: Wolverine claws. Basically, yeah, tw- <laughs> twin claws, uh, and um, they they are. They're, they're magnetized on at the just below the shoulder. Yeah. Um, best place to magnetize. And I thought, why bother buying like loads of dreadnoughts when realistically I'm probably only going to take one at a time, maybe two. Yeah. So I also bought the uh, dreadnought, dreadnought close combat arm, uh, the chain fist one. Yeah. Um, and then I also bought the las cannon arm as well. Oh, cool. So it means that I can proper have... anti tank. Yeah. So that that's what. I feel like my all my lists normally lack tank mm. tank busting ability. Like I tend to run quite assault heavy, 
player versus player, they like player marine versus marine, they do pretty well. But um, I think when it comes to vehicles, I quite I struggle quite a bit. Um, so I, I thought, why not? The likelihood of me running this dreadnought assault dreadnought all the time um, is quite low. But actually, I could put him into like a ZM because uh, he doesn't need to take his jump pack at that point. I can put him with the las cannons and the close combat, um, yeah. the chain fist, and actually he could pose quite a a mean. Uh, oh, adversary very threatening yeah yeah so uh i i i magnetized those on um i almost i almost bought another one i actually almost bought two and then um because it was it, i got it for my birthday and i got some money for my birthday and and my parents um and most people in my life uh, don't know what to buy me even though i have like quite a, a widespread detailed amazon gift list <laughs> um so they were like what do you want and i was like well i want to buy some stuff from forge world it'd be quite nice to finish off the the blood angels yeah. so i was like Forge World Vouchers would be good. So I got those. And then I thought, oh, well, let's just buy some extra stuff. Um, so actually, I didn't want to buy the Assault Squad because Assault Squads are really boring. Uh, 20 men that all are roughly the same aren't exactly the most exciting well, thing just, to buy. It's, it's just squads of five. Yeah. The, the five all look the same. So you have to kind of like trade them in and out and whatnot. So I reluctantly bought those. But actually, it's quite nice because it finishes off that army and I can actually field a legal list. And have a list to go to the event with. Yeah, of course, <laughs> that thing as well. Um, and um, and yeah, so the, the Dreadnought, I, 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 I'm really looking forward to using it and I've magnetized on the jump pack as well. Oh, cool. So it means that when he, I'll keep it on him and when he uses it, I have a deep strike in, I'll take it off. Or That's he, really clever, yeah. When he shunts or something like that. Um, shunt is, is how I used to describe the, the Dread Knights movement. Yes. Um, so when he jumps over, I can just take it off. It, it's kind of a, more of a reminder for me mm. if he's done it or not. Um, and uh, obviously easier for painting. However, I also, uh, I, I was experimenting with magnets. Yeah. Um, so I have Sanguinius, um, and he's been part built for a long time, and actually it makes sense to magnetize on his wings, his hands, um, because you can have the short sword or you spear. You get both in the box. Yeah, you get sword or spear, and also... The, the the hand on his left side, um, you, when you buy the di- the scenic base because it doesn't come together because you know Forge World, um, you 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 change the hand over to be holding the the horn of the um, oh. demon, so that's magnetized. But I don't ever think I'm ever going to buy the scenic base because they don't make them on Forge World anymore. You have to buy them post part or whatever. Um, so I uh, that is magnetized, but I might just glue it. Uh, this is the type of thing that I'd lose and then yeah. just, be, just be handless. Yeah, that would suck. I know, so I might just clear that one. But magnets, um, they went they went in, I think it was fine. Again, the drill really played a really good part because I make sure I drilled it to the right depth and stuff. Um, getting the placement of the magnets in the same spot on like the on the dreadnought, the arm and the shoulder was, was slightly difficult. Um, okay. Only, only because... Although it's in the middle, you put it in the middle and you put the one in the middle on the dreadnought. Um, I was like, well, actually, when I put them together, I was like, well, it's not really in the middle. It's like slightly yeah, off to oh. the side, or I don't know. Bigger it was bigger magnets. Yeah, I, they're they're in now. They work. Um, I, I guess I always picture them being stronger than they are. Yeah, like I bought the ones that recommend were recommended to me and 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 were meant to be really strong, but I I, I thought it would be difficult to pull them apart. Where it doesn't. It's not really. You can you can just pull them. All right, you can knock the model and they don't go anywhere. So I guess it kind of serves a purpose. But I've magnetized Sanguinius's wings because um, trying to store him and move him about will be a massive pain with giant wings on the back. And they're actually yeah. the fixing point is really small. So 
I think it's okay. I, if it annoys me that much, I probably I might drill them out again and um, put bigger ones in. But it's quite a small, thin model. That's it, it's not as easy. Um, so I'm happy how it's come out. But I, I don't know. Maybe I had different expectations for it to be almost hard to remove from the model. Yeah. I don't know. What, what, you, you can you can get that, but what, what's your? Because you've magnetized your contemptors arm, haven't you? Yeah, with a lot of help from Simon. But yeah, mm. I did magnetize those, and my forge rod ones are great. Because there's a magnet in the sh- bottom of the shoulder and a magnet in the top of the arm, like yeah. elbow joint bit. Yeah. Like, it's probably the same how you've magnetized. Yeah. Um, I've got quite wide magnets in there. Okay. So the lining up wasn't a problem. Yeah, yeah. Um, or didn't seem to be anyway. Um, they're really great and really strong. Like, mm. you know, not crazy snap fit strong, but they are, they, you know, wobble the model. They're not going to fall off. Mm. My plastic arms, we made the decision to use paper clips okay. in the arms to save on magnets. Or I think Simon gave me a few magnets, didn't have that many. Right. So we put paper clips in the arms and the magnets are obviously still in the shoulders. Yeah. They're a bit wobbly. Oh, like yeah. they, they, they go all right, but as you move the model, his kind of melt gun goes from shooting pose to kind of like he's going to shoot his feet. You okay. Kind of put it back out again. I see. So I'd like to put magnets in those. Yeah. But then I very rarely play my contemptor yeah yeah so i'm like oh it's a lot of work like that's one of the things that's good like way back down the line mm. um other than that i don't think i have magnetized anything else no I, I like having things as i run them yeah yeah like um i get that people magnetize even like special weapons on marines yeah i get it but i'm gonna choose a metal gun every go so i'm just gonna do that and when mm. i don't want to choose a metal gun i'll get new guys and put plasmas on them or yeah. whatever i need like you know which uh it's wasteful mm. i'll definitely you know put my hands up on that but that tends to be how i'll do things um the only reason i did the contemptor was one so that we could do magnets and when i think we did an episode on magnets with mark yeah um from frosting studios for your painting needs um who's been putting out some amazing work recently but anyway um yeah to use magnets and be able to go oh I've, I've done it now but also because yeah i wasn't going to buy more than one contemptor because actually he's kind of relegated to zm games where they're kind of useful um yeah I mean, I, i'm I, a bit down on contemptors to be fair more like loads of people i'm sure are going no my one's been really good and mm. you know certain builds and mortis versions and but for me i'd rather just either have a tank or more inventory yeah i get that i get that i i I like the idea of the assault one because it fits in quite well with the army. The yeah. whole deep strike army, anything that can deep strike does deep strike. So I like that. Um, also, where I've got the Newton, the now 20 man squad, I worked out that I only need to buy another five and then I can run three squads of 15. That's nice. So I'm thinking I might just pick up the five because actually five on their own aren't that expensive. No. Um, and then it would mean I can diversify my list a little bit more yeah uh, i'd need to be really careful as to how i paint the five because i think i'd need to have like three of them would need to be oh, no two of them would need to be sergeants no one would need to be a sergeant yeah um and then i think i might put some special weapons Ooh, okay. uh, plasma pistols something like that maybe i don't think they can take much else. hand flamers hand flamers yeah they're strength three though i mean a template is nice though it's not like a stupid d6 or whatever yeah yeah. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, so I thought that it is actually there's quite a good thing getting the twenty. When I when I talk about my list on Blood Angel forums, everyone's like, "Why do you run two squads of 20 mm. Like, why don't you run three squads of fifteen? Yeah, 
there, there comes a point, it's like Terminators. I remember asking about my Night Lord Terminators because I was going to go to a 10-man squad. Yeah. Because uh, I could deep strike them all in and I had loads of Nuncio Voxes in my earlier lists where they wouldn't scatter. Yeah. And thinking that would be a massive threat. But people like points for damage, they're not worth it. Like seven. I think yeah. most people were saying for after seven, you're just wasting points. Yeah. I think it's the same for Assault Marines. Um, like I run a 10-man squad and I get the opposite. I get people going, why are you running 10 men? Yeah. Like they'll just die. I'm like, yeah, I know. But they're base bare bones with metal bombs. They're my anti-tank. Mm. One of my anti-tanks. Yeah. I, I think it's a good idea. Like I can, looking at metal bombs for assault squads, it's like 100 points to get them all. Yeah. Like it's quite a lot. Yeah. Um, And I can take, being a Blood Angel player, I can take an Inferno pistol as well. Yes. Um, So I could take, uh, I think it's one in five. So I could take three Inferno pistols. Hmm. Um. But then that's three Inferno pistols, right? I could also take power, power weapons, maybe take three axes instead. Yeah, I'd probably go swords. I was having this conversation with Ron recently about power axes and how I don't particularly think they're worth it. For okay. the same points, you can have an initiative AP3 that will mm. cut through Marines. Yeah. Or you can have a plus one strength AP2, but going at initiative one. Okay. On a rank guy, he's probably if you're going into combat where you really want to use a power axe, yeah. You potentially getting hit by terminators or assault specialists, and then you're having to wait until um, mm. initiative one, where you potentially are dead because you've only got a three yeah. up save. I think it's the difficult question for me is between inferno pistols and melt because melt bombs are hundred points. 100 yeah, it's points. five a dude, isn't it? It's so insane. That's why I run ten because fifty points I feel you can get away with. Yeah, like, even yeah. if even if seven die. Three metal bombs can easily blow up a tank. Yeah, so 15 would be, um, what, 75 points? Well, that's probably enough on Sprue Corner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, we've, we've been talking about it for a long time, so we should probably move on to, to the next one, which is the painting table. Tell me, Matt, Indeed. what have you been painting this month? So, not that much. Um, yeah, um, shock horror. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's been one of those months yet again. I did some more details on the Night Lord Assault Squad. That's cool. Um, so, I got the uh, Legion colours on the shoulder pad done. I got all the um, skull face masks done on the helmet. Uh, so a lot of freehand, cool. Um, which was fun. Took time, obviously, but uh, yeah. I'm really happy. They're probably the best ones I've done. Okay, which is normal progression anyway. But I was quite happy. I haven't painted any for a long time. Yeah, I think the last yeah, yeah, ones, the last ones I would have painted were on the terror squads, which I did during our escalation. Oh, so I haven't done skull faces for that long. So oh, yeah. it was quite cool to do them again. Um, I had the Forge World ones this time rather than doing them on the Mark IV helmets, okay. which massively helped because they're pre-molded in. So it's almost like, you know, going around the edges and then, you know, filling it in uh, very paint by numbers. Yeah, more paint than, by numbers. Who can say that? <laughs> ra- rather than needing to um, make a skull out of the shape of a Mark IV helmet. Yeah. Um, so a bit easier. But also, I just think my brush strokes just a little bit more controlled. But I noticed they're, they've been washed and they're slightly lighter yeah. than my Terra Squad. And I, like, not enough to be, this looks weird, yeah, but just yeah. a little bit lighter. And I was like, that's because I'm just better at washing models now. Yeah, there's that as well as um, the the whole resin and plastic thing and how yeah, that's resin true. sucks in. Well, more. these are all plastic though. Oh, they're all plastic. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, you got. Oh, well, the though. helmets aren't, but the the rest of them are. Yeah, but the I remember Chris who did uh, word bearers. Yes. Um, 
talked about the massive difference in in painting the resin versions and painting the plastic versions. He said it's just they look like two different colors. Yeah, um, and that's I guess it's because of the material and, and and the fact you're painting it that way and stuff. So it's always interesting. Mm. Uh, yeah, I should have finished them this month. Uh, really, there's not that much. There's like final highlights on the Legion symbols, um, a wash for those, and mm. then it's like battle damage, weathering, basing. Yeah, and done. Um, they're quite basic. I used their 40k marines and put on um, Nightlord helmets and third-party jump packs that okay. look like Mark IV. Um, so they fit the heresy aesthetic. Are they the upside-down jump packs or the bobbly extra big ones? Um, the one single jet, like the sanguinary guard ones. Okay. So they've got the three jets on top and one at the bottom? Uh, yeah. I think Can't so. Remember. Something like that. Yeah. One main jet and then there's a couple of turbines on the side. I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They look, it looks uh, upside down. Yes. Yeah, yeah. When you hold it, it looks upside down. When you put them on, they look quite good, mm-hmm. which I was happy about. Good. <laughs> yeah, good, good. Um, but yeah, so they, they could be finished. I should have done them this month, but just, I'd say this month, uh, yeah, I don't particularly want to go into it and go on a downer, but it's been a quite a hard month, so I haven't really felt like I wanted to do anything, let alone no. paint. Um, so yeah, so that's what I got done. Cool. Uh, painting wise, I obviously had my weekend fr- of freedom um, from my wife, uh, and I was going to paint loads and loads of uh, full tour tiles. Uh, I painted five. Nice. Um, it took about two hours to mask and tape off. Yeah. Um, the ZM tower tiles. I remember I sat there and watched a movie, and I was like, "Well, I'll put the movie on, and then I'll mask and tape as I go, and then when I'm done, I'll, I'll stop the movie." watch the whole movie we're still masking taping <laughs> like i there, there must be an easier way and i've got the the masking putty stuff but i don't think that would do it still it's just they're kind of I, I feel that zm tiles are kind of like painting orcs when you think about painting or, or tyranids when you think about painting orcs or tyranids actually you're like well it can't be that hard and then actually when you start painting them you're like man actually there's so much detail yeah on it and it, it's just a massive pain so i'm happy i've got five done i think it's just a I've kind of moved away from them and started painting up my, my 30k fours. Yeah. I, I need to go back to them. And I've got the scheme uh, photographed out and it'll be super easy to do. It's just, I think they're the type of thing that you need to almost block out a day and then spend the day airbrushing, Yeah, which which is fine. And then when I get those days, I'll just do it. Like I'm sure that will probably come up. Yeah, I think the good thing is, is you, you've got base levels on them. Yeah. So even when we played our game, it didn't feel unfinished. No, 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 no. And we played on a full four by four. Yeah. Um. So it's nice and easy. It's just you're progressing the table rather than. Yeah. Oh, it look. It's just still grey resin or um, just sprayed black. The 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 difficult part at the moment, I guess, is that some are sprayed in the new grey, some are still in the old grey. Yeah. And now some are sprayed in the new grey, but with red panels. Yes. So it's going to look super higgledy piggledy. That's like, whereas, right, whereas before everything was a grey. Um, like a painted grey. Now it will be yeah, weirder. starting to look a bit odd, but that's that's fine because that should then motivate you to do it as well. Yeah, like you'll lay it out and go, oh man, I want it to be better. Well, I guess I'm gonna do it then. Yeah, and I think, like I said, it's just gonna be those um, picking like a day and being like, cool, we got no plans today. I'm just gonna paint. I'm gonna airbrush all day. Yeah. Kind of like how I did Sanguinius. Like I did it. I literally started painting at like maybe 11 in the morning and kept going to like five, six at night Wow! and just, and just hammered out the different layers of colors as well as some spraying some other stuff. But it was just, I think when you, when I find the time it's, I, I get really into it, but it's that starting point, which is, uh, I think difficult. Like 
I envy people that have like a permanent setup or a semi-permanent setup where they can, I know you are, but you, <laughs> you're different. Um, but when they can literally just kind of, oh, I'm going to do a little bit and then I'm going to stop. Whereas mine, I use the desk that I work at during the week. So it's when I'm done, I have to pack everything away yeah. so that my desk is clear for the next day. Um, so, but it's all right. And what I might do is where we're, where I've got a hobby hangout tomorrow, um, we've got some stuff to do in the morning. But after that, I might just actually just paint all day and then yeah. just do some like de- more detail work on the hobby hangout. Cause yeah. it's normally you, you kind of have to be a bit more, um, you kind of have to be a bit more like what you paint won't be painted. Like what you want to paint won't be painted. Yeah. It's you have to slower progress. And, yeah, yeah. It's definitely slower progress. Whereas when there's people, that, when there's people that are there that are talking to you and kind of engaging, I'd rather, I'd rather engage with them and paint less and paint slower yeah that's why i tend to do base stuff so i'll have the base all laid out and then so i think the last time with the assault squad i just painted all the silver yeah which is a ton and i was just like oh yeah silver turbine oh yeah silver chainsword silver pistol you know um uh joints on the knees and the elbows and cool next guy yeah, and just did yeah. that for three hours. And by the end, I was like, oh, I did all the silver. Yeah. But I was, it was boring, but I wasn't concentrating on the painting, so it was no. quite good to do some boring painting. See, at the moment, I don't, I don't really have that. Yeah. A lot of the Marines, the Assault yeah, Marines. I need, to, I need to get the airbrush out so uh, I can do all the base coat on them. That uh, could be what you did on Sunday. But I, can't, I, I, don't, I don't like having the airbrush going when no, I mean, hang out. If you're going to paint all day, oh yeah, I see. Get, get all the airbrush the, done up to the, the point, and then just do the either move on to a different unit, yeah, or do some brush work on them. Yeah, so it's like the stuff that I I um, what's about painting, right? Yeah, so I painted. Uh, so <laughs> uh, I also have done all of the work for the bases. So bases yes. are like the way that I do my bases is it's crackling earth. Um, then I put some sand on it to add a bit different texture, and then I put um some rocks on. Uh, and then I, I spray all of that brown and then wash and then dry brush up. So that's the perfect kind of stuff. Like it's 23 bases because I've got, I've got some spare. So I was like, I might as well paint up some ready. Mm. Um, so it's 23 bases. Actually, that's the kind of stuff like painting silver. You don't have to pay attention to it and yeah. and, and, and stuff. So um, between that and also I've got Sanguinius's base, which I'm I'm kind of thinking I want to redo. One completely different base, or just redo the paintwork. Do redo the paintwork. Okay. So with so with his base, he's on that scenic part, which then just plonks straight on top of another base. But there's a lip around it, so oh, it looks okay. like flat to scenic base, which is super weird. So what I might do well, is for the larger base, has it got which you haven't got? Which I don't but, have. But that's what it's for, I guess. It slots in, and then that bit's hidden, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So what I might do, where I'm probably not going to get the scenic base, is I might just bank up around it with the sand or maybe putty and then kind of be able to have it kind of smoothly go in rather yeah. than it be like like you know how my um nights were where yes. it was like normal normal base and then blam resin part yeah it, it just doesn't look right um so i don't know that would annoy me i just want it to blend in more which yeah. it might do if once i spray it up and stuff but i don't know i'll get there um i might work on that and then i might actually try and finish sanguineous on that on that would be really cool yeah like i was painting so i've, I've painted sanguineous i i used um turbo dog paints uh, yes i got a, a, a set of the uh all of the true metallics all the gold well it's all, also all the silvers oh yes as well. so it's like all the true metallics i used um bullion 
hang on, bullion, all that gl- glitters, and I don't know, three of the golds out of the six. Um, and it 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 looks phenomenal. Like it's come out so well. Yeah, it, the pictures they look good. And and it's not as uh, it's like a worn gold rather than like a a blingy brand new pound yeah. coin. It's more like a pound coin that's been in circulation for like twenty years. Yeah, which is perfect. Like I think what I might do is do a very light dry brush of the top gold that I the, the out of the three the, the the highest one just to pick out some of the detail. But it, yeah. it washed down brilliantly. Like I used Agrax Earthshade, obviously makes your models look a billion uh, bucks anyway. <laughs> um, so I washed down with that and then I did another layer. I did like Zenithal highlighting on it and it, it, it's come out exactly how I want to do it. It's good. The issue now is the fact that I'm going to have to paint his face. Yeah, uh, that's all right. Nah, I hate that. Skin's fine. I hate that. It's not. It's the skin and he's blonde as well. Yeah, the blonde is more... The, so I, I'd have more problem painting blonde hair. I'm thinking what I might do is airbrush his blonde hair. Yeah. And then paint his paint the skin afterwards. Probably yeah. both, right? I would probably put the yellow in. But it's brown. You start... Blonde hair, well, you yeah, start with brown. Yeah, yeah, But what I mean is you go brown, you put the yellow in with the airbrush. Yeah. Put a wash on. Yeah. And then probably a light dry brush. Yeah. Brush work blonde, to get the yellow I'll back in. Back, yeah. But yeah. I think the hard thing with blonde is getting a yellow that isn't yellow. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like blonde hair doesn't look yellow. It looks, <laughs> looks, it looks golden. It's that kind of thing, right? Yeah. yeah. But however however you see he's painted, like on Instagram, he's always just got yellow hair Yeah. rather than gold. But then you can't have a gold because it's not shiny. Well, he might have wear head and shoulders. He might be shiny. <laughs> um, but then I couldn't use the same gold. Basically, I almost need a metallic yellow, which is no, gold. No, you don't want a metallic yellow. But you do, because it's shiny. Yeah, but metallic yellow will be bright yellow. It's not... <laughs> Why don't we did a brown and then just dry brushed on the yellow and then build up the layers of yellow? Yeah. What about um, yellow glaze? Yeah. Yeah? Build it up that way. Go, you know, like dark brown, lighter brown dry brush. So a lighter brown, maybe with a little bit of yellow in their dry brush. Duncan yellow has glaze. done a video on how to paint yellow. Oh, interesting. Like how to paint blonde hair. Sorry. Oh, cool. So um, I I should watch that. <laughs> yeah, I should watch it. What, is he, what colors does he recommend? Hang on, I'm just looking, looking at colors. So he recommends... So he recommends... Oh, I've just gone past it. Oh, damn it. He recommends Zandri Dust. Yeah. Seraphim Sepia. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. And then a new Spatty Bone. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. Bone is green, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, actually, I have all of those. Yeah. Seraphim sepia is just a lighter brown rather than a dark, earthy brown like uh, Agrax. Yeah, and actually, like, in the screenshot, in the video, he's painting Gulliman. I didn't realise Gulliman had blonde Yeah, hair. he's a blondie. Um, but he actually looks pretty good. Maybe I'll follow that. I think I have all of those colours. Yeah, well, it's worth giving it a go, I think. And then I don't have to airbrush it. I can paint it. Then I can airbrush his skin. Yeah. That would be good. Anyway, that's future sounds problem, <laughs> aka tomorrow sounds problem. Um, so obviously you can't hear this, but if you're on the hobby hangout, I'll be complaining at you how to paint blonde hair. Yeah. Um, the wings, probably the scariest part that I had to paint. Um, Interesting. And I think I blacked out for the entire time that I painted them <laughs> because they're painted and they look really good, <laughs> but I don't remember how I did it. <laughs> Luckily, no one else has wings, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, Actually, ooh, does your chaplain? They're black. Although they're painted. They're there, painted right? black. They're, uh, they're, they're Astraf's black wings. Ah. Uh, um, 
how I've done it, but yeah, they're black. Um, so I'm just going to leave it and hope I don't, I don't mess it up and have to and touch it up. But I think what it is... They're magnetised, so you shouldn't. No, I know, right? You shouldn't. But there's Sam. Um, <laughs> I, I think it was... I think I did a grey. I did a grey, then I did zenithal highlighting of white, and then I washed it all down with um, Agrax Earthshade. Oh, brown. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I dry brushed up with white. Yeah. But like up into the feathers. Yeah. I think. But there's no way of really telling. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Great. But it's fine. I'm not going to touch them. Yeah, and as long as they're and, done, they're and, done. And, and then they are probably done, I think. Uh, I like Actually, them. If you're happy with them, that's they're done. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I, I think it's fine. Cool. Um, I'll, worst comes to worst, I'll repaint the entire thing. But I, I like how it is at the moment. So I'm just not going to mess it up and I'm going to try and finish Sanguinius this month. That's, mm. that's kind of the commitment. Yeah. Um, in terms of painting other things, um, I don't really think I did much other than that. The board and then Sanguinius. I must have painted something else. Maybe. <laughs> Who knows? It's been a long month. And, yeah. Like, I've been away quite a bit, so probably I didn't paint anything else. Anyway, playing the game. I'm guessing you haven't pay, played a game. No, unfortunately not. I really wanted to. Um, I think last month... I was when I played Tim in ninth. I'm sure we talked about that. I will go and check because if not, that is this month. I think you. I don't think you. Did, I think you. You had your camp out thing, didn't you? Uh, yeah, where well, we stay stayed around their house yeah. and did kind of a staycation weekend. But that was in September. Uh, no, it was August. I'm going to load up the notes. Why don't you go first? Okay. So I played my first game of ninth edition. Ooh. Yeah, so I, I played my first game in ninth edition. It was against Tanel's Scary Space Wolves. Indeed. Um, so he's done a Ragnar Black main list um, with all uh, Primaris Marines uh, and Wolven. Yeah, I should just get him to send me the list so I can just copy it. It was really it good. murdered you, right? It it annihilated. Yeah, me. that Tanel, just send me your list. <laughs> so uh, he, what it, what it highlighted is uh, one we shouldn't have played that size game for my first game of ninth. Definitely. Uh, it was a thousand points. So it wasn't big, but actually it was quite big. Like my list, I, I, I've got a, a list that I've written for my, um, I played my Gene Sealer Colt and I've got a list that I've written for my Gene Sealer Colt for our escalation uh, at 25 power level. And um, I took that and it worked out to be like 300 points worth of stuff. So I then had to find like 700 points to put in and, I basically has made loads of wrong decisions. Um, <laughs> and what it, like I said, what it highlighted to me is it was a really fun game. Playing to nails always fun. Got to hang out a bit. Um, it, it highlighted that I need more practice and that I need to learn how to write better lists. Uh, I also need to know how everything works in ninth, which yeah. is really difficult because you don't know how anything works. Um, and I wasn't particularly into eighth. So I don't, I don't, I feel like I, did, I missed out on the majority of eighth as well. And some of the rules are really cool, like around, the where they they are sticking to their guns by not having blast templates the fact that now blast weapons do different damages depending on the size of the unit yeah um which is quite cool um makes sense but they could just easily fix all that by bringing back blast weapons uh, yeah it's, it's to stop the we've gone through that yeah, yeah, a billion yeah. times yeah yeah so um it was good it was a really fun first game I, I i need to learn about the actual phases i need to have smaller games and i think actually the narrative stuff that our group is looking at doing with a 25 power level would probably make it easier to learn oh yeah better to learn yeah um and also it's a smaller army so it means that you learn that army better 
um, like I had like a billion bikes and just completely fluffed all of it up. Like <laughs> they, they were, I took them off as like one wound. They've got two wounds. Yeah. So, but uh, what it has made me do is I am now doing a Blood Angel Force. Yes, indeed. Uh, which I now own, other than one squad. Wow. How have you managed that? Oh, because it's 25 power level. Because it's 25 power level. Yeah, yeah it's not that much. So yeah, it's yeah. Mephisto. So the list is Mephiston, a squad of the new bikes, um, a Assault Intercessor squad, yeah, um, and then a um, the Scout squad, the Primar Scout squad. Reavers? Reavers, no. Yeah. No, 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 they're not Reavers. Oh, Eliminators? The Sniper ones? The Sniper ones, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. How, when did you get those? I haven't got those. That's what I need, ah. so I need to buy those still. Um, and that's the whole 25? That's the whole 25 power level. Okay. So I might just buy those from GW. I hate these conversations because I'm like, oh, I could do 25 power level Space Force. Like, no, I've got Tyranids. <laughs> yeah. And 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 I, I think um, it would be good to do both because then I can learn both at the same time. Gene Silicon aren't going to get a... a probably aren't going to get a codex for a long time so it would mean that the space marine codex i'll I'll have a more i won't suffer from having a codex that isn't written for this edition yes um which i think although people are like oh well they've kind of crossed over but i think it becomes more complicated when you have an older codex because everything will be in the space marine codex so everything like oh on against this size squad it will be this will be in that codex rather than have to be in the rule book yes um so i think it will it will help so it might help me learn the, the rule book faster and the game faster. So, and also, it's only what seventeen models, yeah, for twenty five points, and I've already got them. Other yes. than one squad with three, um, so yeah, I'm excited. Mm, that's but, cool. They're in the car at the moment. I I haven't taken yeah. them in. I haven't figured out how to get them past Kelly yet. <laughs> but yeah, that's great. Um, so I'd look back into last month, and I only had our ZM game in there. Sweet. So you so, did. Yes, yeah, so I did play Tim, and we did um, a kind of custom thing to learn the rules. So we started at twenty-five power level, and um, he basically did his Primaris Raven Guard Force versus my Tyranids. Um, and every wave that he got through, I got to bring in another five power level, or kind of a, a ne- next chunk of unit. We're basically kind of playing it, you know, um, fast rules. Like we were just going, okay, cool. Um, that 10 man Hormigans are now 20. You know, we weren't particularly sticking to exact power levels. Um, but yeah, and we were just running through it. And the first couple of rounds took time. Um, but we ended up playing, I think, in how long were we playing for? Like five hours, six hours? Wow. We did 15 turns. Wow. And by the end, we didn't need to look at the rules. We could just play. See, that's what I think I need. Small enough games that I can get into the rhythm and then learn how that game works. Yeah, well, the the, the cool thing was, and, you know, like, basically, Tim could either keep his units as they were, or he could add something like five power level. It was a while ago now, so I'm trying to remember. Yeah. He could add things in. If he added things in, I got an extra buff. So the idea was the Raven Guards were trying to hold out um, oh, and I, I was see. bringing yeah, wave yeah. after wave of Tyranids. Okay. So I was learning my Tyranids because I just kept bringing in the same stuff. Yeah. And he was learning his Raven Guard because he didn't... Similar to what you were just saying, he had three, four units. Yeah. So he And he that. was just constantly learning those rules. Yeah. And then after a couple of waves, he went, well, do you know what? I'm going to add a tactical war suit so I can learn that rule. And okay. that allowed me to go, okay, I'm now going to go to 30 Hormigants and I'm going to bring a Lictor. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. And we just kind of escalated until we ran out of time. It. We should do that. We should do our own. It was really fun. It was a really, really good game. And I mean, like, 
There was no way of marking who won. It was literally, we're going to play. We're going to learn matter. the rules. That doesn't matter, does it? Like, no. I mean, that's so much better way of learning the rules. Yeah, um, it was really useful. We could do something like that. Yeah, yeah, it was It was good. I really found it... Um, did you feel outmanned by the... Uh, I like, felt outgunned. Like, did you feel like the Tyranians just didn't have a hope against them? Uh, no, I felt like... I mean, in the early games, yes, because I was just running across the table Yeah, and he was shooting me and I was dying. I guess he doesn't like, have to move, does he? He just stays no, where he is. Yeah, yeah, he was staying where he was, if not stepping back slightly. Yeah. Um, and so, so I only started to get the upper hand in the later rounds when I was starting to out- outnumber him. But right. the thing I would say about that is that that's a Tyranid list. Mm. Like, I started particularly small. You know, it was basically like one Neurothrope, which is like a a toughness four HQ. Yeah. And 10 Hermigans versus his 25 power level. Okay. So I started really low. So he, you know, like two shooting rounds, they were dead. But then I'd come back with 20 Hormigants and a Neurothrope. And then they were dead. So then now it's 30 Hormigants and a Neurothrope. Now it's 30 Hormigants and 10 Gargoyles and a Neurothrope. And it just kind of escalated like that. Yeah, okay. Um, the one thing I would say is like, I didn't get to use any of my big cool units. No. I was just bringing in carpets. But I was there... I mean, to have fun and hang out with Tim, but to learn the rules. So I didn't, it, I wasn't trying to learn units. I was trying to learn the rules. But then you never got to do anything like blast weaponry or. I don't have any, it's Tyranids. They have guns. Uh, none of my units do. No, none of the ones you take. Okay. Yeah. So there wasn't, there wasn't anything I didn't get to do. Like I brought Lictors in, so I used their special pop up. Um, I did get like my winged hive tyrant came in. It just I didn't have a mass load of monsters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's fine because their stat lines one are unchanged. Yeah. And are basically run forward and eat stuff. Yeah. So learning how combat worked meant that when I play them, I already know how to use them. Okay. So it wasn't. I I didn't feel like on paper it probably looked quite bland from my end. Yeah. Just bringing griblies and nothing else really for a lot of it. Yeah. But it was fun because it was like, oh, they got into combat. How many of his six man intercessor squad are gonna survive? Yeah. He's now going to have to pull back and snapshot at me, and then I'm going to jump on him. And is that like it was cool to see him reacting to me? Yeah, I was almost the NPC in terms of move forward, die, move forward, die, move forward, die. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But it was genuinely really fun. Cool. I really enjoyed it. No, but, good. And, and like I say, we did 15 rounds. By round probably five, six, after like a kind of normal game, we were pretty fluid. By yeah, the last two turns, we didn't have to pick up a book on stat levels, on um, how many dice you need to roll in assault, how to charge. Like, we didn't have to go look at what the next phase was. Even the newer stuff, we just didn't need to look at it because we did 15 rounds. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it worked out well. No, cool. Well, anyway, let's just end there uh, and we'll come back with the Warpstorm poll and we'll take a quick break. The tendrils of the warp are far-reaching and communicating using the great social media anonymicon. Do I? What's that? Do I have to say that? Yeah, it's a keeper anonymicon. Anonymicon. Anyway, it's apparently never been easier. Reach out and connect. Find them on the Adeptus Terror podcast page on Facebook. 
www.facebook.com forward slash the Adeptus Terror Podcast and the Adeptus Terror Podcast Community Safe Room Facebook group www.facebook.com forward slash TATP Safe Room. You can also connect to them on Instagram to see some of what they get up to in between episodes at the Adeptus Terror Podcast. Give these losers a break and please give them a like and a follow. Thanks, guys. Hello. And that ended briefly. Sorry, I was dancing away there. Well, it wasn't It wasn't the full one. It was just the outro of that advert. Oh, right. So, okay, that makes more sense. That makes more sense. Anyway, <laughs> welcome back to the Warpstorm poll. Well, last month, we asked, how often do you use a Super Heavy in your games? Indeed. How often do you use a Super Heavy in your game? Uh, oh, good question. So, 30k, I don't currently own one, because mm-hmm. a Lord of War is different to a Super Heavy. Sure. Um and in heresy no that is heresy in 40k i never had one for my space wolves or my orcs um tyrannids i have a barbed hero door but barely gets played because the tyrannids barely get played to be fair it's in my 2k list yeah so if i was playing 2000 points it would be in every game okay but i haven't played with it much in practical see i like that i like the fact that build one into your list like, the worst thing I've done is just buy a super heavy that you inevitably never use. Like, <laughs> I've got my um, my Stormhammer, um, which turns into various versions of the same... Oh, the Baneblade, yeah. Yeah, the Baneblade chassis, but it's not a Baneblade because it hasn't got the extra turrets and stuff. Anyway, and I bought it because it was going super cheap on eBay and it was already, like, magnetised and you could change it out and I'd already had my tank company and stuff, so it, it made complete sense to be able to... I was trying to move this. All oh, right, it makes complete sense to be able to uh, to have one, but it was where I've got it. It doesn't fit into a list. It yeah. never fit into a list. I find like when you have a list, like my Mechanicum, for instance, my Mechanicum has uh, my Castigator Knight in it. Yes. So when I play, if I play a three K game of them, um, it will be played because I have it and it's built in the list, and so I, I'll use it every time. I don't really play my Mechanicum very often because we don't really play big 3K games very often. No, well, I mean, this year's been a bit of a write-off, right? Yeah, there's six months of being locked inside. Um, I I, I quite often, and I like having a centerpiece super heavy model. I think it's a really good mm. I mean, bonus. a lot of them look cool, right? Yeah, and, and I think there used to be a lot of stigma towards, oh, you're bringing a super heavy, it's an oh, auto win. We will get into that. Right, right, okay. But yes, yeah, there, there's always been a stigma to... Or super heavy cheese. Yeah, exactly. When actually, they're a massive point sink and most of the time are a problem for the player playing them. So if you think about like Stormhammer, that's like 400 odd points, like yeah. nearly 500 points. Yeah, I'll have five Lehman Russes, thanks. Yeah, exactly. Four, but yeah. Exactly. Like it's not, I don't think they're, I think people freak out of them and how to play them, which yeah. is probably. I remember early years of Heresy and everyone used to be like, oh, you're bringing a Primark. Ugh. And then it's like, actually, a Primark in most competitive lists doesn't feature anymore no because they're actually not that competitive no well unless you've got magnus yeah unless you've got some cheese primarks yeah yeah, yeah. Some, some <laughs> slice of cheese with some melted cheese and a bit of cheese is all on top yeah, yeah otherwise known as magnus so you did and, nothing wrong unless unless you're ben in which case you have magnus and a super heavy <laughs> tank <laughs> like, that's true actually ben, yeah ben's list is horrific yeah. it's funny when we get to the votes of this month the yeah. two people that yeah. voted for always play <laughs> yeah, yeah it's yeah. a spoiler there yeah um and who they are yeah, yeah but we course. will name and shame them later anyway <laughs> let's let's go through the comments 
Um, and then we'll look at the results and then we'll talk about ourselves as to, yeah, yeah. we kind of already done that, but yeah, whatever. Anyway, uh, Niall McLeod, McLeod of the <laughs> clan McLeod. Uh, I play 40k and run a knight with my Admex some of the time. I've also got an Imperial Knight household. Mm-hmm. I think it's really good. I think with the prevalence of or, or the boom of, of uh, see what I did there, boom of uh, Imperial Knights into 40k, I think they become a much more um, commonplace early on because they were really powerful. Now oh, they're yeah. kind of like simmered down a bit. People know how to deal with them. People don't freak out as much yeah. when they play them. But actually, their entire faction is majority made up of super heavies. Yeah. Well. Um... There's another night comment coming up in this, um, and I have some thoughts on that slash this with knights and how I think Games Workshop dropped the ball a little bit. Well, do you want to read that comment and we'll um, talk about it? Yeah. So that is our good friend Adam, the one and only Adam. Loopy. Yeah, Adam uh, Fasolt. Uh, Probably butchered his last name there, but Loopy. Um, Imperial Knights exist in a space where they are reviled by players in either system, whether they're good competitively or not. Warhammer players be like, gosh, I hate how I'm totally destroying your knight army. You're such a whack player for bringing these, this army that I can totally beat 80% of the time. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I completely agree. Exactly. Like, when look at uh, when we went to Company of Legends last time, and I had an, a, a knight majority list. You ended up on the naughty list. Instantly put on the naughty list. And then they worked out that I can't play the game. Yeah. <laughs> and also... That's uh, not why. No. Because knights are actually very easy to kill. Yeah, you just have to take units that are capable of taking out that armor. Mm. Like, take look at Ben's Imperial. It's always Ben. Look at Ben's Imperial Imperial Fist faction. Mm. It's got like squads of las cannons yep. inside of inside a turret with more las cannons attached to it, <laughs> with extra armor, uh, extra um, ammo boxes of las cannons in it. Like it, it's it's built at taking out those big power sink units. Yeah, and one of the things is in Heresy as well, you've got things like Spartans and Land Raiders flying around everywhere and Typhons and, you know, we did the uh, Super Heavies um, last month, which is where this poll question came from. For your list in Heresy, you've got Anti-Tank because you've got Spartans, Typhons, etc. Yeah. And the Knights are little worry. This is where I think Games Workshop dropped the ball, right? Okay. They brought out Knights. They made them super scary. Mm-hmm. In feel... I mean, they were obviously daunting in terms of model as well. Yeah, they're pretty big. Compared um, to Marine. And ha- you know, here's your D tax. Here's your stomps. These are brutal attacks, and they're very easy to get into that. They've now scaled back on that, especially in 40k, because D weapons are not a thing, mm. um, and they're less scary. But everyone remembers that time. So you suddenly like, oh yeah, like Adam says, oh you've got knights. Oh you're totally a whack player. You're totally like trying to game the system. Yeah. I'm going to point at that knight aggressively and it's going to blow up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they die quite quickly. And that's normally a Custos player that's saying that, right? Yeah, so. true. That's also true, yeah. Look, at, Don't look at my shiny gold men. You've got this big knight. You're clearly the one that's OP. Yeah, clearly. You have the same amount of models that I have and yeah. I'm able to still ruin you. <laughs> but yeah, I think knights kind of came out, everyone got crazy into them, so you saw them a lot. Yeah. Which isn't Games Workshop's fault. You know, well, no, it, it is. It's, it's their marketing team did really well. Yeah, which, cool, good for them. Mm. Um, but yeah, they came out, everyone hated on them because everyone was playing them, a bit like Custodes now, I would say. Or That's probably an old comment now, but when Custodes first came out and especially appeared in the Heresy with all their new toys, um, they suddenly were everywhere and people were getting stomped by them and were hating on them. And now that still carries on. Like We just made jokes about it. Mm-hmm. Like, but actually, I've played 
a game against two two custodes lists I've played. Mm-hmm. One, I, yeah, I got absolutely beaten down. The other one was quite close. Yeah. And that was with my Tyranids, which are kind of a lower tier 40k force. You know? And that was Tanel as well, who beats us all all the time. <laughs> um, so, like, yeah, it's a weird one. I think knights just have that reputation, so they're hated on. And now I think there's probably people who have them but never play them because they don't want to be that guy, even though actually they're perfectly reasonable to bring. I wonder if that's changed a little bit because of the armagers. Yeah, the like small the, knights. The, like if you bring more of them with one or two big knights, yeah, probably isn't competitive enough. I don't know. I've never played with played with or against those little knights, but I wonder if people would be less worried because the little knight feels like a dreadnought. But I think it's all about perception with the knights. Big giant thing, bah, it's going to blow me up. No, I I, I agree. I think it, a lot of it is early on. Um like how good they were early on and that and, and like most new things when GW brings them out make them super powerful and then they balance it against everything else like look at Elder Elder was super powerful and then they balanced them against everyone else and they're still pretty powerful but they've been nerfed a little yeah Custodes super powerful two wounds apiece like super super marines and then Primaris come out so they've been balanced against Primaris and, and I think Knights are exactly the same and now um, especially in 30k knights aren't that scary no to be honest if I see a knight if it's not a four draw knight because I have some nasty weaponry yeah I, do you know what but, I still really haven't played my four draw knight yeah but like um, they they have some dangerous fight, fire outage so you've got to be worried about them but I don't feel threatened by knights you know and I don't feel threatened by a super heavy either you either ignore it or you send all your anti-tank on it and it blows up yeah like they're not that hard to counter so I don't. I think it's an old tradition where super heavies used to be all powerful, and that's changing. But people are just still with that old mindset because it takes a while for people to change that, right? I agree. Uh, moving on, let's let's keep this ball rolling. So James Gibb, uh, I have had a shadow sword for more than five years, and it's never got close to the tabletop. However, I think that uh, that there is a broader question here which is, do your gaming group routinely bring Super Heavies in friendly games? In the last episode, there was a talk about too many 30k games in your group with Primarchs. Yep. Um, if the guys in my gaming group all brought Knights, Baneblades, then I'm sure my Shadow Sword would get game time. As they don't, I would feel cheesy, in brackets, um, bringing out the Super Heavy in a friendly game. I have started to use my Relic Sikaran, painted by Mark from Frostfiend Studios, for your painting needs. And he has put insert catchphrase. Um, uh, that feels powerful, but not cheesy. That said, a 30k tournament list could well have a Lord of War. Yeah. I mean, that kind of personifies what we've just talked about, right? Yeah. Yeah. And the thing for me, though, a Shadow Sword's like, yeah, it's the Volcano Cannon, right? That's the the one. Shadow Sword is the anti-tank, anti-Titan yeah. weapon. Like, it's got one big gun. My 50... Hormigants don't care. Yeah. Like, and that's that's the thing, right? Like, I think it's very easy to go, oh, super heavy, cheesy, shouldn't bring in a friendly game. It's a bit too aggressive. You know, I think cheesy is the wrong word. Like, I think people are worried about coming across too aggressive. Like, I'm coming for the win. Here's my super heavy. Yeah. But yeah. unless you're bringing a catered super heavy to your opponent, most of the time they can be countered. Like, a Shadow Sword does not worry my Tyranids. No. You know? Now, a uh, what's the one with the Vulcan Megabolter on it? 
Uh, so you run. Uh, I storm shadow hammer. Storm sword? hammer. Storm hammer. Storm no, hammer. Shadow sword. I don't know. They're all the same, basically. Yeah. Oh no, this is a shadow sword. Um, storm storm lord. That's what it's called, storm lord. Yeah. With the Vulcan mega bolter that scares the hell out of my tyranids. Yeah, it's it's about uh, it, it's that's weight of shots and yeah. I think Ben runs that one. Yeah. But then Ben also does psychic powers on it, and then they get super heavy and super scary. But like yes. with that list, when I played Ben, the easy way of dealing with is, is super heavy tank. Let's just ignore it. Yeah, kill everything else, win by mission. Move away, hide behind cover, and just don't worry about it. Same with Magnus, just moved away from him, big orb in the middle, and he can run away or run around on his own. Yeah, I think people, like, the problem is, right, like, if you are playing that every game, you're going to get bored of just, oh, I'm going to hide now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there is that problem with super heavies. Yeah. Um, But that's why you should, that's why I've got a list which is with Sanguinius and not with Sanguinius. Yes, exactly. Like, and, and, and that's, and that's why, what Ben's working and, towards. And Ben's working towards, that, working towards that now. Yeah. Because we bitched about it. Well, no, because <laughs> we played us and was just stomping our faces all the time. Mm. And it just does feel a bit too imbalanced. Yeah, Magnus does feel a bit too imbalanced. I, I think so, yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, we shouldn't keep banging on about Magnus, he's not even a, a super heavy. <laughs> <laughs> but he is a super heavy in my heart. Yeah. Uh, next up, we have Nicholas Akaza. Kaza? Yeah, Akaza, why not? Um, with two kids, I play a lot less than I used to. So my game's typically just a 1500 to 2000 point game. Super heavies are great for larger, fun games, mm. which I agree with. I, I, I think. Um, 2K is not too bad. No, I. Depending it, on the super heavy. It depends on the super heavy, and it depends like 2K on. 2K with a, hey, here's my Warhound, might be a yeah. bit much. And I think GW deal with that, and oh, sorry, Forge World deal with that very well in 30K. And GW still do, oh, we're used to. 25% rule. Yeah. Like, I think that makes sense. If you're bringing a 2K game, a 250 point super heavy, fine, do that. But actually, if you're doing a 1000 point game and you're bringing a super heavy, well, the likelihood of you of your opponent having. I think at low, low, lower points, you have to seriously be targeting that super heavy in mm. order to build a list. Like, because a well-rounded list won't have more than one, more than one um, anti-armor squad. Really, yeah. might have uh, a squad, assault squad with metal bombs and maybe a heavy weapons team with las cannons. Mm. But it's not going to have like six heavy weapons teams or have vehicles that are all las cannons or like multiple of them. I yeah. think. I think that's why the twenty percent rule, twenty five percent rule, is is really good. And is that the for Primark? I know Primark's hard, but like for for thirty k, yeah, it's all Lord of Wars. It's all Lord of Wars, right? So because even the super heavies are Lord of Wars. Yeah, they're all Lord of Wars. Yeah. So you have to do the twenty five percent thing. So in two k, that's why everyone plays three k games, I guess, because at that point, well, you have to take a certain detachment to even be allowed to bring two Lord of Wars, right? Which means that you can't bring, you can't have first turn ever. Yeah, and there's some other, but that's not necessarily all true because you can take you can you can take um, a Primark, but unless you have a right of war that makes your Primark a HQ choice, which yeah. some do. Yeah, but um, for like for me, that doesn't happen with Curse. Right, Curse is always the Lord of War. So if I wanted to bring Curse and a Baneblade for yeah. just ease, um, I would have to take the special detachment that loses me first turn and. Uh, other limitations okay. that's the only way I could get to in and the way that detachment gets around the 25% is each selection must be um, the 25% uh, so technically okay. you could have two Lord of Wars and have 50% of your army yeah. made up of those two but each one has to be limited to the 25% yeah 
Maybe we should play smaller heresy games. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's why Centurion's really cool, right? Because it eliminates tanks and um, like uh, gives you restrictions on things like jet bikes and the kind of more powerful units. It's more inventory fun kind of it. Yeah. I I understand Centurion. I don't think it's as amazing as everyone sort of mm, defaults It's really to. fun to play, though. Yeah, but is it? Yeah, I've had some really good Centurion games. Like, I think... And this is probably because of Mechanicum. Mechanicum with the um, not Cybernetica. With Cybernetica, <laughs> with Cybernetica, you can't play Centurion. No, well, we're not without bringing a load of uh, the thralls, right? Yeah, it just doesn't. But that's kind of fun. That's something different. Yeah, but then you, you're writing a you're writing a list to play Centurion again. Or... If you've got a set number of models and a budget and all that stuff, yeah. then yeah. But, but I... if you have a Mechanicum thing, you're pulling from yeah. your vast collection. Yeah. It's not that big a deal. No, but I think I think what's maybe moving towards now, or certainly in, in maybe our group or the way we talk about it, is anytime we're not doing three K, we're doing Centurion. Yeah. Like we don't play often we won't play a two thousand point game, normal no, heresy game. No, it's always true. a anything less than than all of our force is Centurion. Yeah. Which means you can't play I can't play my force. Yeah. At a smaller number. Yeah, yeah. Which considering it's a I know if Forge World support it because Forge World have have made reference to it. I think in posts. What Centurion? Centurion. Yeah, it's kind games. of a community based rule set that everyone's gone. This is good. Yeah, but I, I there are, I, in my opinion, if Forge World supported it and and had it as a rule set in their mm. world, there would be ways around it for for, for forces like Cybernetica. And... Yeah, I believe so. I think the the problem with that, and don't want to go on this too much, but um, is that Centurion stops the kind of cybernetica list that become uber powerful at 2k yeah. because you haven't got the stuff to, you know, like similar with the super heavies, right? Mm. Bringing a super heavy in a smaller game suddenly becomes a hell of a lot less fun yeah. because people don't have the right amount of tools to deal with it. Of course. And I think that's the problem. You've had this experience of Centurion of I'm really restricted with what I actually own, let alone actually now what I've got to play, I don't really get any of my special rules. So I'm really hampered by Centurion. Yeah. But actually, if you were with your Blood Angels now, you'd put together a list super easily and probably really enjoy the game. Yeah. So it's it's that. like, And I get that, yeah, all ga- like game system should be for all people and all yeah. armies. You can still play Cybernetica. You can't bring the Super Smash robots yeah. and loads of them. But, it, but it, again, last point, we'll move away from it after this. I think that's right. But out of the three troop choices that Cybernetica can have, you can only take one of them in, in Centurion because the other ones are are discounted because they're... Um... I don't know what they are. I know Castellax are obviously one, but you can take a unit of Castellax. But you have to take two in order to bring Cybernetica. Yeah, so, so you that's why you can't so take So you them. can't bring Cybernetica, but you can bring Mechanica. Yeah, but then I'm playing a Cybernetica force at that point. And yeah, yeah, but they are like one of the most strongest armies to play in 30k yeah i just i uh, yeah i think if forge world did it there would be ways around it so like yeah minimum requirements are allowed so like i could take two of them all right it can only be like one two squads but then yeah. at that point you, you're able to do it right but anyway um that was kaza uh nicholas kaza um <laughs> tiego joseph gomez uh as a xenos player with subpar super heavies it's hard to justify bringing one for 40k yeah yeah i think a lot of Xenos factions don't have sufficient super heavies. I mean, Necrons 
I think if you going down the 40k route, I think there's a lot of Forge World models for, well, there there are Forge World models, maybe not a lot. Um, there are Forge World models for Xenos players. So like the the big giant Walker for Necrons. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Tiago's talking about rules, I would imagine. Mm. So like, I've got a Barbed Herodal. It still packs a punch. It's still a super heavy. It's still got good stat line. But compare, if you put that up against, say, a Baneblade, yeah. Baneblade is going to win that 90% of the time. It's that kind of thing. Like they are subpar compared to, and it's that standard comparison to, hey, here's, well, actually, guard ones, I guess. Yeah. But Imperials have the strongest super heavies. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. And, 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 and I think even the ones that, say, Eldar have or other factions are just so high points. Yeah. So, like, they've got the, um, the Cobra Type 2 super heavy grav tank. Mm hmm. 168 pounds on on forge world like they're like i think like 700 points i can't remember well, they were it's like it's, it's been a long time since i've looked at them but it's not like you can't take a 250 point bane blade yeah like bane blades are pretty cheap compared yeah, to what they three, are three 400 i think um yeah three i think if you start adding all the extra yeah, yeah, shiny yeah, stuff yeah. on like the sponsors and stuff they get Which super why would you not <laughs> well you can but you can get them in yeah, yeah, right yeah. yeah well it's like um Things like Typhons and stuff are like, yeah, 300 and yeah. stuff like that. So they're, they're easier to squeeze in. Yeah. Next up. Carl Douglas. Uh, I've run my Stormblade in my last three games and been completely underwhelmed by it. It's back in its case. <laughs> um, yeah, and this is kind of what I've been saying. I don't think Super Heavies are particularly viable. They're sort of the odd one or two that are very strong. But other than that, most of the time, I wouldn't bring one because actually I can bring a more competitive list without. Hmm. But that's kind of case in point, really. Yeah. Under- underwhelmed with it. You're paying all these points and spent all this time on this model and actually it doesn't do too much. No, because everyone panics, targets it and blows it up. Yeah, couple of turns. or ignores it because actually its damage output doesn't outweigh the points. Like your Barb Herodo is a perfect example of that. Yeah. So it dies turn one or doesn't do anything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's not not a great option. Like, it only comes in when I'm at the point of all my models are in now. Yeah, it's the last thing I add to my list. Uh, next up is Dave, uh, Paul David. Uh, he has a Fellblade, a Mastodon, and a Knight Archeron. Um, and he uses them occasionally, but he usually asks his opponent first, unless we agree to an anything goes game. Super heavies are often very swingy, swingy in games of 30k, uh, and they can really change the focus of the game, particularly glaives, which are only run by bad people. <laughs> yeah, glaives are a bit naughty. Glaives are only run by bad people. Um, I, I think I agree. Like, if if I had a person, I think what you said earlier is kind of personified by that is. If you had someone that you always played against and they always brought a Mastodon, it would just be boring. Yeah. Like, I mean, I could always bring three assault squads and it wouldn't necessarily be, it, it's a bit varied at that point. Like, I could, they could deep strike in, deep strike mishap, mm. you could absolutely obliterate them from shooting, you can get into assault and, and that. Like, I think it's more varied than just a gun platform tank. Yeah. Um, which the Mastodon is. Which a lot of them are, you know. Um, most of the tanks. Even a knight, like you're going to deploy it, it's going to walk forward, you're going to shoot it a lot, and if someone comes close, you're going to punch it. Yeah. That's all very, very similar. Um, but yeah, I, I think it is interesting. They are sw- more swinging in 30k than possibly 40k. And again, yeah. it's a new addition, so who knows, right? But um, yeah, Heresy, like a good shot from, I keep, keep going back to it just because we keep talking about it, but the Typhon, you know, that large blast, massive blast goes down and wipes out half your inventory. 
Um, and then you're like, oh, how am I going to hold these objectives now? But I could also just whiff and miss. And then, oh, I've wasted all these points on this one blast template that missed. Mm. Yeah. Um, Similarly, on the, the gaming front, Cameron Matthews said that uh, he has a couple of super heavies. However, the people that he plays regularly uh, are fairly new to the hobby and don't actually have a lot of anti-tank in their list. So it seems mean to be bringing them. Uh, they will hopefully mm. be used in narrative game in the future. Now, I really respect that because actually he's looking at the people he's playing and going, well, will they enjoy the game? Yes. Because of if I bring this. It's that difference between... And actually having a collection allows you to do this. Having a collection allows you to tailor your your lists to your opponent and go, okay, well, I'm going to be playing Imperial Fists or I'm going to be playing um, A Thousand Suns. And I know that they do a lot of Psyker. So there's no real point in me bringing a Psyker because they're probably just going to counteract it. But, you know, I will bring I'll bring lots of vehicles because they, they normally deal with them better. Like it's, 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 it's thinking about what can benefit you against the game and also being really conscious as to what you bring as to will they enjoy the game yes like if you know you've got you're playing a, an all infantry guard force would you bring seven vehicles and bring a tank company because you know there's going to obliterate them yeah. and actually you're, you're using that to your advantage especially if they're new players and they don't have the lists mm. or the units yeah it's that whole thing right there's an area of the hobby that i don't think i've experienced very much where like you have a conversation about your game and we're like, yeah, let's have a game. Cool. And then we just turn up with an army. Now, most of the time we build to a list so we know what each other has. But, mm. yes, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting thing. And I think it's right. But, I don't know. It, may, it might be different if I had one of the more powerful super heavies. But like my barbed hero, I wouldn't think twice about bringing it because I, it's like a normal monster creature in my head. Yeah. Yeah, all right. So it's got a few more wounds and it's got a bit more of a punch in its shots. And that's it, you know, and I pay the points for it. So it balances out. Um, so, yeah, um, I imagine it's something to do with what you've got and who you're playing and just having that in mind. So I think a lot of our guys, we all build to lists and we kind of know what each other has most of the time. And we know roughly, OK, well, if I'm playing that, then this army doesn't work. So I'll play one of my other armies. See, that's why I'm trying to move away from that. And with my Blood Angels getting some units that interest me. Mm. Um, so like, I, I want to run some jet bikes. So I'll, I'll write a squad of jet bikes in, um, work out how I want to run them, and then buy those and build them up and paint them and, and have them. So I can actually go, okay, this time, I fancy running some jet bikes. Yeah. Um, and I won't run my Vindicator. Um, or I, I want to uh, run a, an all drop pod list or an all, or all uh, deep strike list. So anything vehicle will stay out and I'll take my dreadnoughts instead. Yeah. No, yeah, I like yeah. that. I think it's it's cool. And also it offers that a bit difference and variety to the person you're playing against. Like if you always played my same Blood Angel list that no I own, I should be playing more. Yeah, with um, my same Night Lord list. Then actually, would we continue yeah. playing? And we actually said that, didn't we? Before, when we were... Tra- uh, I was going to use the word training. We definitely weren't training. But just playing games to get used to heresy mm. when we were going to Company of Legends because it was all new to us. Me and you were playing every week. We were just playing the same list again and again. And after that game three or four, we were a bit like, we play someone else, please. Yeah, because it is because it's like these. We know what each other has, exactly. and we know how they roughly play or how the other person plays them most of the time. Yeah, and the likelihood is I'm not going to be playing. I won't be playing your your night lords. Yeah, like, or, 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 or night more, lords. more than one night lords, let alone yeah. you know maybe one. Yeah, um, yeah, 
Yeah, no, it's good. I think uh, the thing that I um, think could be really cool with Super Heavies is using that that narrative and that story, even if it's just a framework, like being like, okay, right, I've got my guard. I'm bringing guard with a shadow sword. And they are, my force is going to be built around the theme of they are escorting the shadow sword to the front lines because there's a Titan battle mm. and they need it to kill the Titan. And that's why it's in my list. And actually, cool. You, now you bring your army. Your job is to kill the Stormlord. Yeah. Let's go. And actually, then suddenly, like playing it at 1500, it's fine. Mm. Because you've, they know you're bringing one. You're not playing to win, you're no. playing to do the narrative game. Yeah, and they're going to be all bringing... games are better with narrative behind them. Yeah, even if it's just a structure, right? Like it doesn't yeah. need to be a crazy big narrative thing or part of like a crusade or mm. any of that stuff. It's just a why are we here? What are we fighting for? Shall we make up some uh, specific objectives rather than just putting six flags on the board? Yeah, I like that, and yeah. I, and I I, I want to figure out a way of doing that more regularly. Yeah, who knows? I guess it's just more chatting. Yeah. Hey, you know, we're booking in games now. It's not like we're just turning up to find who we can play. Yeah, exactly. Because we haven't got the club going. So it's like, yeah, cool. Let's play in two weeks' time. Okay, well, you know, case in point, the ZM that we played last month. Mm -hmm. Like, that was really fun. But that's because you spent time thinking about it. Yeah. And and you went, hey, you're up for it. And I went, yeah, that'll be cool. I I think as well, we need more like-minded people in the group. Yeah, who are on that kind of, not necessarily wavelength, but interested enough yeah because that's what that's what i whilst i want to play that way um whilst i want to play that way um some people just want to turn up and play a game yeah and actually that's that narrative and that's fine but it's it's, i guess it's setting up that expectations yes and i guess it's it's making sure if that's something you want to do that you can do that alongside just turning up and playing games right Mm, yeah i can turn up and play joe who's a made-up person yeah, I was going to say, we don't have a person um, no, Joe. But that's why I wanted to use some made-up person who just wants to turn up, throw down, go home. Yeah. You know, don't worry about whether it's competitive or not. It's just a turn up and play. Yeah, I want a game, um, I want to play, I want to get out of the house. But if I know I want to play the narrative thing, then I'm going, okay, well, if I'm playing Joe in a week's time, then my game in two weeks' time or a month's time or whenever I can get the next one in, I'm going to try and play it with a Sam who I know wants to do that narrative thing and we can plan that and prep that. Yeah, um, I think it's just making sure you're playing the kind of games that you want to play. And I think the thing with Super Heavies is that lots of people don't take them because they're worried about being accused or perceived as a player who wants to win at all costs. Yeah. And I think people just like Super Heavies because they're cool and you spend a lot of money and you paint them up as this cool centerpiece, whether it's a, you know, um, Again, Primark's a bad example because it's not super heavy. Whether it's a Barbed Herodor or a Typhon or a Knight Castigator, you know, it's there. It's this big, imposing looking, cool thing. And a lot of the time, that's why people have bought them. Yeah. Not because of the, the rules at all. And you I know think, what? It just clicked. Whack means win at all costs. Oh, you've only just worked that one out. Like, I must have known that before. Yeah. But I always just called them whack players. Yeah. Like, not really. No- oh, yeah. Yeah. Win at all costs. Yeah. That's why there's two A's in it. <laughs> Always. Yeah. Anyway, shall we move to the results? Yeah, let's go there. So, in last place is I play with my big boy all of the time. And the people that play that 
are Ben and Mark from Phosphine Studios. For all your painting needs. And Mark loves a Hesu Behavi. He does. He loves a knight. He does. So that's, but, not, that's not surprising. You know, I, uh, again, the thing is, and Mark will be perfectly happy to admit it, it's not like he's got a 100% win record. Yeah, he's really poor at this game. <laughs> no, that's not what I was saying. <laughs> like, what I was meaning is He's that... better when he doesn't play whack lists. Mm. Like, generally. Like, I stomped him into the ground. <laughs> multiple times. This is not where I wanted it to go. <laughs> I am very good compared to Mark, and I'm really bad at playing this game. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to love that. Mark's, actually, saying that, Mark's um, Dark Mechanicum list is pretty good. Oh, it's brutal. But it hasn't played me yet, so I don't know. <laughs> don't know how that's going to work out. It's painful. In joint third place with nine votes each, it's I own one, but I don't use it, and I use my super heavy some of the time. Oh, yeah, they're joint. And I then I didn't notice. in second place is I don't own one at all with 15, vo- 15 votes. And in first place is I rarely use my super heavy mm. with 20 votes. Now, I think that's that's quite a good place to be because yeah. I think it's a I have a super heavy or I have multiple super heavies. And I don't have to rely on them in my games for the for me to win, Ben. Um, so it's it it, it means you're really that you're going having, for that, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, of course. It, it's it's because I uh, lose against him. Um, <laughs> as soon as I as soon as I beat his thousand sons, they'll be fine again. Um, I I I think it's I think it's good to have one and have one in your in your box in your storage cabinet, whatever, and then just get it out when you fancy a bit of a different game, mm. which yeah. is probably a really good place to end. Yeah, I think so. I, I was quite surprised that there was the second place was I don't own one. In well, my head, I, I work, I'm not surprised, but I am surprised, right? Yeah. My initial thought was, oh, that's strange. I swear most of the people I know own one. But then actually, I don't think that's true. And the perception of that everyone has a super heavy is potentially part of the problem with playing super heavies. Yeah. Because actually, I think they're a bit rarer than people yeah think so thinking about it i have three <laughs> of course you do two three i can't remember two or three ben has one no ben has two he didn't get rid of his bane blade did he ben has two yeah uh you don't have you have one i have one in your tyranids but like the it barbed really tyranid is really just a monstrous creature yeah yeah it's just a, a souped up uh, barbed, uh souped up creature uh, other than that, oh, Chris has a brass scorpion. Yes, which is mental. It's phenomenally painted. He also has a great unclean one as well, which yeah. doesn't count. No, they're. A... Yeah, but I think both were painted by Mark. Maybe, maybe. But anyway, um, and other than that, I don't think anyone else has one. Simon doesn't have any. No, he's got a stomper, hasn't he? No, not anymore. He hasn't have any orcs. He, well, he hasn't got rid of them yet. But yeah. Oh yeah, fine. Uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you are right. You are right. Hmm. But no, so maybe they're not as common. Yeah, I don't think they are. Three out of our entire gaming group. So really what I need to do is buy more. <laughs> you do like the big things. Do you, the thing is though, I just think they're great centrepieces and actually looking at them, I will, and and when I went so on my holiday, on the way back, we stopped at Forge World. Yes. And I showed Kelly the um, Thunderhawk and the Stormbird. Oh, all right. And she was like, well, if you're going to get a Thunderhawk, you might as well get a Stormbird. No. no. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh yes. <laughs> Winning. Did you see the price tag? 
of both of those. I, I, do you know what? The, since lockdown, so as before, I always used to keep thirty k and forty k as like my dirty little secret as yeah. what, what I spent because we had like fun money and we had money which you never really saw. Now we're not really doing that because we're both at home. We don't really spend money on stuff. And she and I was saying, oh, I can't like to buy some Forge World. She was like, well, just let me know what you want to buy and we'll talk about it. She's getting kind of cool about it. Nice. So. Yeah, we avoid those by just not having any money. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I reckon I could eventually, like, so like genuinely, when we were talking about what to buy for my birthday, yeah. like, what, what what would I want? And I was like, well, I could get a Thunderhawk. And she was like, this is what you want. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> this is dangerous. <laughs> I was like, no, I don't know that. <laughs> I'm going to have to have a word. No, don't, 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 don't ruin it for me. I would, <laughs> I would love a Thunderhawk. Yeah, it would be cool. That'd be so nice. I just again, I don't think they particularly are amazing in game. They're I, just cool. I wouldn't run it. The thing is, well, I wouldn't use it. Yeah. Really, realistically, like the amount of times I would use it in the points. I think you need to play a few. Th- I, I can't remember how many points it is. It's a lot of points. Um, weirdly enough, I have it up here. <laughs> so a uh, a stormbird is eight hundred and fifty points. Yeah. So you would need to be playing like a five k game. I don't know what's twenty five percent of three. Mm. That's maths. It's like your thing. It's not my thing whatsoever. So 3,000 divided by... Oh, that's times. Divided by 100 is 30. 30 times 25 is 750. We should have known that. Definitely should have known that. So I couldn't even take it in a 3K game. No, you'd have to play it four. I'd have to play a 4K game. Um, And then a Thunderhawk is... A Thunderhawk... A Thunderbolt then. I was like, that's cheap. A Thunderhawk (laughs) is 685. So I could take a Thunderhawk mm. in a 3K game. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. Well, there's your decision. <laughs> Is that the third one? So you've got a Sanguinius list, a no Sanguinius list, and a, a Thunderhawk, Thunderhawk list. list. <laughs> well, you say that, right? So it's, it's 685 points. If you're going to do one, then you're probably going to want some some uh, Hellstrike missiles or cluster bombs. The cluster bombs look pretty sick. <laughs> they are apocalyptic barrage. And then if you're going to have a Thunderhawk, like no one wants to transport a Thunderhawk. No, you, no, You no. have to have the one no. with the turbo that's, laser destructor. That's for the pure hobbyist. Yeah, yeah. So that you get, the, you get your, th- your Thunderhawk cannon in, in there, which is 72-inch uh, strength A AP3, uh, massive blast. But then at that point, a turbo laser destructor is a strength D AP2 large blast. Oh, actually, apocalyptic. Don't want the yeah. that. And then void crafted hull. Increases the armor va- rear armor value to 12. Nah, never going to show the rear of anyone. Flare shields would make sense. Yeah, let's get a flare shield in there. Uh, ramjet. <laughs> You're seeing if you can grid. get it in at 3K uh, with I, uh, the build that you want. <laughs> I, no, it's already at 795 points. Uh, so, but I could get rid of the flare shield and just suffer that and then go for like an armored cockpit. <laughs> and then that's 760 points now. I love okay. how this poll has ended oh, up Armored cockpit. Armored cockpit out. Six cluster bombs at 60 points. It's 745 points, which would mean I could bring it into 3K. Cool. So next month's poll is, should Sam buy a Thunderhawk? Yes or no? <laughs> Let's have that. Let's have that one. Should Sam buy a Thunderhawk? No. Yes or no? <laughs> that is not a decent poll. <laughs> what is the next one? Okay. Next month's poll. It's a bit of a silly one, but at the same time, there are some definite answers in here that I, uh, I definitely want to do. You could definitely go deep with it and proper, like, how you could affect the heresy. Of course. So, the next month's poll is, which Primarch would you want to punch in the face the most? 
and why? So obviously all the Primarchs that are alive, we're discounting um, 2 and 18. because they're No, 3 and 18, because they don't exist. They're redacted. They're redacted, whatever. Um, so, but we have Horus, Lehman Russ, Varus Manus, Fulgrim, Vulcan, Rogel Dawn, Robert Gilliman, Magnus the Red, Sanguinius, Lionel Johnson, Perturabo, Mortarian, Lorgar, Chikatikan, Conrad Kurz, Angron, Korax, Alpharius, and Omegon. If you're gonna if you're gonna pick those two, you get to punch both of them in the face. Oh yeah, two for like, onesies. No, actually you don't. If you pick those two, you punch <laughs> Alpharius in the face, and as he, his head jolts backwards, it knocks Omegon in the face. Ah, I see. So it's like one punch. Standing behind. Yeah, yeah, one punch domino effect. Got to hit hard then. Yeah, like so, I mean, you're hitting. A, we're, we're making the assumption in this that, that you could actually you could hit. actually do it. <laughs> like we're not like because ultimately you'd be dead before you get anywhere close to them. In if you were like a normal human, yeah. But so you are you are the redacted 18th Primarch <laughs> who is somehow two times taller than all of the tallest Primarchs. I'm just gonna go bop and just bop someone in the face. <laughs> So I'm, I'm interested in the answers. Which Primarch would you want to punch in the face the most and why? So I think I might give mine as an example. Okay. So I was saying to Sam that if I was trying to take it semi-seriously, I'd punch Ferris Manus in the face just before it's Farm 5. As a kind of get a grip, calm down, you're going to get yourself killed and your legion. Yeah. And I don't know how much of an effect that would have on his Farm 5, Potentially Ferris would get out. Potentially you wouldn't get Fulgrim getting the kill and uh, most of the Iron Hand Legion getting wiped out and who knows what impact that would have. That's my kind of semi-serious answer. And my my completely not serious answer, because I don't do that, is Rogel Dawn because he's just got a really punchable face. <laughs> like, if you look at his model and how stupid he looks when he's just standing there with his sword touching the ground rather than doing actual any work. I just want to punch him in the face. Punch <laughs> him in his pretty face. I see. But yeah. But yeah. So I'm looking forward to the answers and discussing in depth the comments <laughs> uh, next month. <laughs> I'd, I would be, I'd be more interested in, uh, well, no, I get all the, all I, I think, them. I think the whys will be the really crux of the, the argument, right? Like yeah. you could say any of them and be like, fair enough, but the why will really kind of power home your reasoning and make it interesting. So please do include that. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back with our spotlight segment. Um, and then after that is uh, our book club. Yeah. And then after that is the end of the show. Yeah. Uh, speak to you soon. This product is rated H for hobby. Smashing through your computer screens and mobile devices comes a monthly hobby feast like you've never, ever, ever probably seen. Hosted on Google Hangouts, 8 till 11 p.m. Sunday nights, UK time. Three hours of hobby feasts and hard-fought victories. Are you strong enough to survive? Are you brave enough to achieve? Are you wise enough to attend? I guess we'll have to wait and see at the next Hobby Hangout. 
Check out our social media pages for specific hangout details. Sam and Matt sold separately. We do not take responsibility for any lack of completion of hobby or level attendance. We really need to update that advert. It's not a bad concept of an advert, but the, all the again. information's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> just ignore the information part and just know that it starts yeah. Apparently at once we played it and spoke over it, like now 7.30. And, oh, okay. and um, uh, guys loved it. Oh, okay. Like, they thought that was funny. I'll find that part of the episode and we'll just use that as the new advert. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember what one it was, though. <laughs> well, it's 7.30 and it's not on Google Hangouts anymore. So... That's fine. People know that. Yeah, people we, we care about know that. Yeah, we post the link up on Facebook and on the NPC Discord and on our page and community safe room. So I think that's like everywhere we used to paste the Google Hangouts. Everywhere we care about. So it's not it's not too hard for people to find and come and hang out with us. No. Come hangouts with your paintbrushes out. Okay, cool. So, <laughs> the spotlight for this episode is the Ashen Claws. Who are the Ashen Claws, you may say? Well, do you know what? I I exactly said that same yeah. sentence when I opened up the notes and was like, yeah. who are the Ashen Claws? This is a really cool um, kind of break-off chapter. Are they cool? I think they're pretty cool. They kind of wound me up. Okay. Not wound me up. I just... Mm. I like that they had Kakaragongons. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotta try and remember how to say not to say Tacharodon. Chari <laughs> like Chari saying Charizard. Charizard. <laughs> <laughs> um so the Ashen Claws are a piratial warband of renegade space marines based around the Ghoul Stars, but this wasn't always the case. They originate from what was the eighteenth chapter of the Raven Guard Legion. The the emo's in black. This chapter was um a mainly Terran-born chapter of Space Marines, making up some of the Legion's first recruits. Before the Legion was reunited with their Primarch, Corvus Corax, they spent time under the tutelage of Horus, who developed a stratagem he called the Ashen Claw, whereby a sacrificial unit would draw the enemy out to allow the rest of Horus's force to strike their flank. Notably, Shade Captain Neret Kirin, of the Ashen Claws, developed the strategy employed by the 19th Legion, uh, accompanied by the Lunar Wolves, in the Battle of Hell's Anvil. Initiating a concussive bombardment on the subterranean fortifications, the Legions allowed the Imperial Army to suffer the worst of the casualties, while the Ashen Claws launched hit-and-run attacks on the Overseers. The battle established the reputation of assignment alongside the 19th as a death sentence to the Imperial Army and combined with their heritage as slaver warlords, contributed to the ill will that Korax bore towards the Terran veterans when he took command of the Legion. And this is probably due to Korax's um, backstory, his past experience battling the rulers of Kiavar, which ends up becoming Deliverance, yep. who use slave labour. Yep. Um, Korax was aware of the closeness of his Terran veterans that they had with Horus and the Lunar Wars, and some suggest that is why he deployed his Ashen Claws the way he did at the Battle of Gate 42. I do like that dum, dum, dum. Gate 42 is... I, I quite like when battlefields have numbers over, like, weird long names. Yeah. Like, Gate 42. Uh, there's a delivery at Gate 42. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a whole legion. <laughs> I keep myself happy. Good. <laughs> you, you're done? 
Yes, you. you. You're done. Were you not following? I was following. Of course, we're done. Game well, 42. It's you. Yeah, the Battle of Game 42. Sam. <laughs> so, what is the Battle of Game 42? Uh, well, it all started off in the Arkham so- uh, Sothus cluster, which, if it had a number, it would be so much easier. 42 cluster, uh, had been brought into compliance by the Lunar Wolves in the opening years of the Great Crusade, but its people had since fallen to an alien parasite and revolted against the authority of terror. Now, the uh, the alien parasite, it, it lived uh, and grew within the eye sockets of its host oh. uh, and had been behind the riots. Uh, the parasites gained basic control of the host as they uh, matured and formed what amounted to be an annual cabal. <laughs> annual? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 they an didn't. Cabal. An alien cabal of primary hosts who were dubbed the Unsighted Kings. I like that. That's quite a cool name. That is a cool name. I feel like we don't have enough cool uh, names. Cool, cool, um, tyr- tyrannical names for a group of people anymore. Um, and newly appointed Warmaster, Horace, obviously took uh, a hit. Uh, t- took the hit of a self-conquered world turning against the Imperium to 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 heart, um, and and had taken uh, had retaken the cluster and had to retake the cluster, no matter the cost to him or actually the cost to his brother's forces. There wasn't really much of a cost <laughs> to him. Um, so the Warmaster planned to launch a rapid no hold bars assault, uh, a strong uh, a, a, a no hold barred strike uh, by the Lunar Wolves, the Space Wolves, and the Iron Warriors. Uh, oh, and also the Raven God, uh, which is quite key to this part because that is actually who we're talking about, the Raven God part. <laughs> um, and they would converge on the heavily heavily fortified command structure of the Unsighted Kings before fi- a final overwhelming assault was launched across the entire cluster. After conquering the outer worlds of the cluster in a matter of weeks, Horace called a council of his, br- his brother Primarchs. He called for Raven Guard, the Raven Guard, to make a frontal assault onto the guns of the defenders uh, of Gate 42. Korax, obviously, argued against the waste of the resources and squandering of his warriors' lives, counting, uh, countering with his own strategy. He proposed that the Legion should draw off the enemy forces in a series of strikes, allowing the three other Legions to overwhelm the defenders who remained at the gate. Perturabo suggested that Korax was simply seeking to avoid battle. <laughs> of course he did. Like the wimp that he is. Um, and nearly two, uh, the, the two nearly came to blows, and only the interfacial Aleem and Russ, which is slightly weird. I would Why? have thought he would have been super into brother combat. Uh, only when he's doing it. Like, <laughs> let's let's resolve it with our it's fists. Like we've, we've got a job to do. Stop yeah, being babies. Uh, and and Lehman Russ prevented a fist fight between the two Primarchs. Lehman told Korax to follow Horus's plan, as Horus had been the one that the Emperor himself had put above all of his brothers. Reluctantly, Korax followed Horus's plan. He placed many of his Terran-dominated companies uh, to the frontal assault, in particularly those whose captains appeared the most willing to support Horus's strategy. Korax <laughs> had long maintained a flippancy towards his Terran officers, mostly due to their use of brutal terror tactics before his arrival to the, to the Legion. Indeed. It's a very clever way of uh, clearing out the ones you have problems with. <laughs> well, it's very um, Istvan, isn't it? Like, let's put the Terrans down onto the planet and let them get... Uh, well, it's Farm 3. Where they get the ones that Not necessarily Terrans, but the ones that won't turn against the Emperor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of a clever scheme. So the assault that followed was hailed as the Legion's darkest hour, a bloodshed that saw an entire assault company removed in the face of heavy enemy defences. Korax himself, himself led the bloody attack on uh, that saw Gate 42 finally taken. 
The Lunar Wolves, Space Wolves and Iron Warriors moved into the Unsighted King's Fortress soon after. However, the glory of slaying the Unsighted Kings themselves went to Horus and his Lunar Wolves. But despite the victory, the thousands of Ravenguard, uh, most of whom were terrorborn, had lost their lives. Uh, the effect of the battle was far-reaching for the, the Ravenguard. It is no, its numbers were reduced after the battle, and the Legion amounted to only 80,000 Marines, which in that time, may, it may seem it's like small. a lot, uh, is it, actually significantly smaller considering they were in the hundreds of thousand marks before. Cormax removed his forces from Horace's command, bitterly swearing to never serve alongside the Warmaster again. Another <laughs> benefit of the battle was that the Terranborn officers of the Raven Guard had largely been killed. Many of these officers who served under Horus at one point and some suspected that they did not hold loyalties to their true Primarch. So really, the battle allowed Korax to consolidate his power over the Raven Guard and remove the Lunar Wolves' influence over the Legion. Mm. So it's not Which all bad. It's why they probably didn't, at least to start with, have an issue inside their Legion of some wanting to turn to Horus. Oh, okay. However, they did all get massacred on his farm five. <laughs> right. So yeah, double-edged sword. But it could have been worse because they could have actually been turned on inside their legion by these Terran officers that were killed. We don't know that, but there is that potential. Yeah. Um, anyway, so so in the aftermath of the battle, Korax gathered the majority of the surviving veterans of the old 19th Legion and those prisoners freed from deliverance who did not fit his vision of the legion into crusade fleets, dispatching them to the Ghoul Stars. One such fleet placed under the Deliverance-born Praetor Calvus, uh, consisted of some 4,000 survivors of the Ashen Claws, including Shade Captain Kirin. Their fleet consisted of 13 capital vessels and a score of frigates. Many of the Ashen Claws were angered by the disregard Korak showed for their lives and history of service, embittered that their reward was exile rather than the honours bestowed on the warriors of other legions who fought in the Battle of Gate 42. I mean, that, I, I feel, I feel like I was going to say again, having a name, like having a number for these things makes so much more sense than a name. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, carry on. True. Um, so like other nomad predation fleets, Korax never made any attempt to recall these elements of the Legion, even after the outbreak of the Horus heresy. Nevertheless, the Ashen Claws returned of their own will raiding targets across the Nostromo sector and stripping them of munitions, STC templates, and construction matrices, uh, whilst making no effort to hold their conquests in the name of either Emperor or Warmaster. And this is kind of where the Renegade chapter is born. I like it. Yeah, I kind of feel for them, right? Like, they may side with Horus, so Korax is like, yeah, I don't want to deal with that, you go over here. Um, and you kind of see their point. Like, why would they side on the Emperor whose son disowned them? And why would they side with Horus, who hasn't particularly come for them and got most of them butchered at the battle? Yeah. So it's kind of like, well, screw both you guys. We're just going to do our own thing. Um, I like to think they're a little bit more loyal, even though they're not going, this is in the name of the Emperor. I feel like they were still more Imperium kind yeah. of style, especially coming from Terror and buying into the Crusade early. Um, than being like, yeah, screw you, we're going to fall to chaos, kind of, eventually. Yeah. I think they're, they're, they're very pure renegade to me. Cool. Battle uh, of Caleth? Uh, no, I'm not there, sorry. Oh, well, it's just lost where I was. Um, 
One of the most noteworthy battles made by the Ashenclaws was when they sacked Tenebor, the fortress moon of the Night Lord's destroyed homeworld Nostromo, uh, and sealed the population of Cairn beneath the collapsed spires of their hive cities after destroying the Night Lord's station there. Combined with the increased activity of alien, uh, alien? alien species, such as the Crave, uh, this served to destabilise the Nostromo sector until it finally collapsed into anarchy after the Ashenclaws brought down the, the Shroud of Eventide in the Battle of Caleth, depriving the Night Lords of their leader, Caron Orphean. That's a good name. Mm, he has a rules and a model now. I think He definitely has rules. I'm not sure if he has a model now. So next up is the Battle of Caleth. Uh, I'm also going to cover the Battle of Desperation, but we'll come to that a bit later. So after the fallout of, from the uh, Thamas Crusade, uh, Orphean refer uh, returned to Nostrama Sector with a force of 9,000 Night Lords seeking to gather reinforcements for the Warmaster's, uh, Warmaster's cause, which is very strange for a Night Lord. Why? Well, you would have thought they would have kind of disappeared off, tried to, like, they're, they're quite a scared bunch, right? Uh, yeah, they pick fights where they know they can win. Yeah, so going for like a recruitment drive isn't really... Well, so that you can win. I guess so. I guess, yeah. Um, what's his face? Korax, not Korax. That's just not... Yeah, Korax. Conrad. Conrad's not dead yet, right? No. Oh, right, okay. That makes more sense then. Um, doo -doo -doo. Uh, but above the isolated world of Caliph, an advanced squadron of his fleet was suddenly attacked by a dozen cruisers emerging from the war. The communication intercepted from the fleet identified them as Ashen Claws. With a little room in his planet's gravity well, Orphean ordered the Shroud of the Eventide to act as a shield for the smaller craft and the transport barges, ignoring his captain's suggestions to retreat and abandon the slower ships. That's very Night Lord. That's very Night Lord. Yeah. He's yeah. not being very Night Lord by shielding them. Yeah, I know, right? The majority of the fleet's uh, complement of legionnaires were deployed to the surface, ordering them to f uh, fortify the refueling stations, supposedly for their own safety, but in fact, to prevent a rebellion. The Night Lords were victorious in the void, crippling two of the enemy's cruisers before the Ashen Claws were forced to retreat. They had, however, managed to land troops on the surface and inflicted heavy damage uh, to the thrusters' array on the Shrouds of Eventide. Uh, unable to maintain the orbit, the ship crashed into the planet. Little is actually known of the remainder of the Battle of the Surface. Six years later, during the scouring for the Nostraman sector, uh, the, world, uh, the world was found lifeless, but for the signs of a handful of individuals that might have managed to survive in canyons and ice caves. The wrecks of the Shrouds uh, Shroud of the Eventide was found a few, with fewer than 100 crew aboard, none of them legionnaires, with a nearby mass grave containing 400 corpses of both humans and legionnaires. With Orphean presumed dead, the Nostrana sector began to fall back into strife. Nice little... Presumed. Presumed <laughs> dead. Yeah. Uh, next up is the Battle of Desperation, which as a, it's a really weird name for a planet. Desperation. Yeah. I'm yeah. saying that right, though, right? That's not wrong. It's desperation, no, it right? It is desperation. Good. Intelligence gathered from the Dark Angels suggested that Desperation had come uh, had a garrison of 12 companies supported by a small fleet uh, at the end of the Thramus Crusade. By 11.m31, uh, this was uh, the only major stronghold still maintained by traitors in striking distance from uh, of the Loyalist uh, command post of Gelhand. Uh, Arceus Odinathus uh, chapter Master, the Ultramarine's 10th chapter, mustered a strike force on Unanus to destroy it. Desperation, very weird name for a planet, was found to be more heavily defended than expected, with a fleet nearly the equal of Ultramarine's, uh, where the Chapter Master had intended to outnumber the enemy by 
The Imperial Fleet divided into three battle groups. Two pairs of striked cruisers accompanied a small craft attempting to draw the defenders into spreading their line to allow uh, Grulgor assault Barquez. Grulgor assault Barquez and the two largest strike cruisers to deliver a crippling attack at short range. The Night Lord's fleet, lacking cohesive, uh, cohesive command, reacted unexpectedly by making no attempt to defend the planet. Some ships fled into the system, while the others overwhelmed the two smaller battle groups, crippling and boarding the uh, Vigil and the Heart of Valor. Um, the Night Lords were able to escape uh, envelopment and take refuge behind Desperation's conjoined moon, moons. In Desperation. Indeed. Moving into orbit above Desperation, the Imperial fleet took heavy damages from orbital defence batteries sighted within pop uh, population centres to discourage orbital suppression. Destroyers, uh, destroyer elements of the Ultramarines 22nd Nemesis chapter and Ursarak's cohorts of the Tagmountain Galahud prioritised these targets in initial assaults. Endurus, Shrek and his terror squads slaughtered the population, draping the hive towers in the skin of the population by the time the first Ultramarine craft landed. Typical Night Lord move. Yeah. The Night Lords had prepared to prepared the hive cities with ambushes and sabotages, bringing down entire hive towers to top uh, on top of the Imperial forces as the fleet in orbit launched continuous raids on isolated or slower vessels. Unable to suppress the raids in orbit while supporting their troops at the surface, the Imperial forces began to lose the initiative on both fronts. The unexpected arrival of the fleet of unmarked vessels later identified the elements of the Raven Guard Legion known as the Ashen Claws, which attacked the Night Lords fleet. Between two hostile forces, the Night Lord's uh, fleet was destroyed and routed, although the praetor of the new arrivals, Nirat Kirin, denied loyalty to either the Warmaster or the Emperor. Orthanathus sought to avoid a three-way conflict as, uh, as long as they did not engage his own forces. The Ashen Claws focused their assault on the primary, arm uh, the primary armor room held by the Ultramarine's 10th chapter. Small, fast-moving assault units launched hit-and-run attacks with the support of Primaris lightning strike fighters. The Ultramarines retreated to defensive positions, leaving the Ashen Claws in control of the armor room uh, and allowing their landing craft to loot its stores of ammunition and arms. The store was laid besieged by the Ultramarines. Isolated units from either side preyed on, on by Night Lords terror squads. The destroyer, Leviathan Siege Dreadnought of the, ne of the Nemesis, was able to breach the armor room makeshift fortification, forcing the Ashen Claws to retreat. The Night Lords seized the opportunity to launch a hive-wide counterattack on the Ultramarines forcing them to turn to evacuation uh, to turn to evacuate their troops on the ground unopposed by the imperial fleet coordinating the evacuations the ashen claws uh, the ashen claw fleet departed with a store of uh, stolen munitions although in control of the hive the night lords had no defense against a uh, normal tool bombardment any survivors were able to take shelter in the bombardment were abandoned in the ruins and desperation was declared destroyed so matt talk us about tactics and culture they won in the end didn't they I mean, it's all, it's all really important. If you win in the end, it doesn't really matter, does it? <laughs> yeah. That's where Exterminatus comes from. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, tactics and culture of the Ashen Claws. Once known for the hit-and-run tactics typical of the Raven Guard and carried out with brutal uh, efficiency by Shade Captain Kirin, the Ashen Claws became specialists in orbital interface raids focused on acquiring the material uh, to maintain a force that had been operating without support for several years. A wide variety of orbital interface fighters, bombers and assault craft typically begin by targeting anti-air emplacements before Dreadclaw and Charybdis drop pods deploy fast-moving infantry squadrons to suppress the enemy. The intention is to circumvent the enemy's main strength 
allowing a force with limited numbers to defeat a numerically superior foe piecemeal with the ultimate objective usually the seizure of munitions and material. Now culturally, and almost ritually, the Ashen Claws choose to decorate their armour with fragments of enemy weapons, including skulls or teeth of alien beasts, as well as carved stone charms similar to that of Terran Jade. And most of them are from Terra, so that kind of makes some sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, although they no longer serve the Emperor, many still bear the Raptor Imperialis that indicates that they were veterans of the Unification Wars. The Ashen Claws still maintain some links with the Imperium, such as with the Carcharodons, Space Marines, and often barter for war material and slaves with the chapter. Back to their old ways. Naughty, naughty. Naughty, naughty. So, notable elements. Actually, we covered them above with name characters. Yeah, Kieran and stuff, yeah. uh, I was just going to skip that. So if you want to go on to painting. Cool. So we're going into our on the tabletop now um, after finishing their kind of ragtag history of where they come from. Um, and before we do kind of a, a list variant that both me and Sam have kind of worked on and going to chat about, uh, I wanted to talk about painting Terran members of a legion. So I started doing some research on this. I remember a long time ago people did a document that had different Terran markings from where they were kind of founded on Terra um, for shoulder pad pauldrons so you'd have your legion symbol on one side and then your Terran marking on the other shoulder pad um, I couldn't find it unfortunately which was really annoying um, but what I did after kind of doing some digging is a lot of them will have the Raptor Imperialis which the Ashen Claws still have okay. um, which is a sign of the unification wars that they fought in normally on a knee pad or chest plate so if you didn't want to paint the chapter symbol, you could also add these um, or the Great Crusade veteran symbol, which is similar lightning with a skull in the middle rather than the raptor head, um, on the pauldron instead. Um, at the Ashen Claws do have a chapter symbol now. It's like a buzzsaw weird shape, yeah. actually. But um, So you can find that kind of stuff. But if you wanted to create your own kind of, uh, let's say you wanted to do the 14th chapter of the Blood Angels, who you know and create your own story even yeah um you could rather than use blood angel pads you could use a raptor imperialis symbol if you wanted them terran born um or you could use yeah that crusade vet symbol which shows they fought in the uh, great crusade um which a lot of them still had that sense of pride in that even though they now serve themselves and not either emperor or um horace um, but yeah, so not really that much, to be honest, but um, there is stuff out there. I just really couldn't find it. It was a long, long time ago before I think Forge World started producing all the black books with all the really good color plates. So people were being a bit more creative back then because you had to be. Um, but yeah, I think uh, if you want to kind of show some Terrans adding the Raptor Imperialis, even to some of your normal Legion guys, because that would be something that only Terrans would have, because they fought in the Unification Wars of Terra. What does the Raptor Imperialis look like? It's basically like a raptor head, like a sidewards bird head with four lightning bolts coming out of it, like um, top right, top left. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's like the... Uh, um, I'm, I'm, I always attribute it to like American kind of eagle iconography. Yeah, it's kind of... Head, and then it's just got lightning yeah, bolts. Sidewards eagle kind of face with four lightning bolts coming out of it. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. cool. Um, so yeah, it's a cool way of kind of noting Terrans in your Legion if you wanted to as well. Um, but yeah, anyway, should we go on to lists? We kind of tasked ourselves to build a, a kind of list based on uh, the background of the Ashen Cores that you might be able to play them and represent them on the tabletop. Okay, so I've gone with a 3k, 30k army. Yes, me too. Good. Which... I believe it might be a 3k. Hang on. I might have gone lower. Uh, no, it is 3,000. Good. Which, uh, which right of war did you take? Orbital Assault. Okay. Me too. Really? Yeah, yeah me too. Oh, you did drop pods as well? Yeah. Uh. Mine, mine cool. are pretty good. Yeah, I'm quite happy with mine as well, actually. I mean, it's actually how I would play it. Yeah, go for it. So I, I wrote uh, 3,000 points. It's actually 3,001 points. I need to drop uh, a point somewhere. I'm 2,998. Well, I'd rather be over than under. No, no always under. <laughs> yeah, that's just different people. Uh, so I've got a Praetor um, with a jump pack um, and a pair of Raven's Talons. Um, so Raven's Talons are melee, shred, mastercrafted, rending, uh, specialist weapon, AP3, uh, salt class. Yeah, they're like just nicer lightning claws. Yeah, and of course I put my artificer, my, my um, Praetor in an artificer armor yeah. with an iron halo. Uh, how many points does he come to? 155. Yeah, yeah. My one's a bit more expensive, but that's because of the weaponry I gave him. <laughs> okay. Uh, I then ran uh, two assault squads, two 15-man assault squads. Okay, cool. Um, because of Deep Strike, the maneuverability, I think they're very Raven Guardy. Um, I gave them all... Uh, I gave the Sergeant the, the ra- Raven's talents, again, because that's how I see them. That's uh, two of those. I then ran um, three 10-man uh, tactical squads, Inside an amulus pattern dreadclaw drop pod, so three dreadclaws, three dreadclaws. Okay, interesting. Um, I really looked like I, I don't really know a lot about the dreadnought drop. I uh, sorry about the um the, those kind of dreadclaws, but I thought why not? They seem quite cool. Yeah, yeah. As I run through those, so I thought tactical groups on the ground, um, very much similar to the stories about sort of running and getting holding objectives that kind of stuff. Um, I then picked uh one land speeder squadron from my fast attack. Ooh. Okay. With three land speeders in there, yep. um, all with uh, plasma cannon and multi melter. Interesting. Um, so it would be my um, anti armor plus elite, elite kind of killer plasma cannon thing if need be. The main aim of them would be to fire the multi melters and go yes. after armor. Um, I then took two Primaris lightning strike fighters. Um, what it, weaponry? I took them with uh, servitor controlled. Yeah, of course. Um, Ram Jet Diff Reaction Grid. Oh, okay, you went for that, yeah. Um, and then I took three Phosphex Bomb Clusters on each. Oh, so you went for Phosphex. Yeah. Just anti-inventory murder. Anti-inventory. Cause, okay. Because I thought, well, they've already got a Twin Glass Cannon. Yeah. So if I need to take maybe the odd snipe point here and there, but actually my land speeders are the ones that are going to go hunting for for armor. Yeah. Um, so I took those instead. And then um, I took three squads of uh three squads of five jet bikers oh in heavy support in heavy support oh um and i took them all with multi-melters yeah yeah they're just let's go murder stuff yeah yeah so you could probably change one of those out for like volkites or something maybe but i thought 15 jet bikes flying across the board yeah yeah, nice um everything's fast moving everything's deep strike in um or i know i think can deep strike in actually yeah which i thought was quite cool yeah you went really fast yeah. So I've done a similar list, but mine's less. Also, fast how, which allegiance that. did you pick? Uh, loyalist. See, I was like, 
it makes sense for them to be loyalists because they're not chaos. Yeah. Like, so I'd always urge with, with, with them, obviously they don't really have an allegiance, right? They're either, yeah. they're not on the side of the emperor, but they're not on the side yeah. of the, I'd always think that they're being like lawful good style. So they're yeah. not doing anything bad. Well, so like that, when we read that they turned up and were fighting with the Ultramarines, yeah. like they didn't attack the Ultramarines. They just wanted the stuff and fought the Night Lords. Yeah. To me, that kind of says loyalist. Yeah. 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 They're not doing anything to, to hamper the loyalists. Mm. So I, I put them as loyalists. Um, but yeah, so the Praetor would go with one of the assault squads. Um, do you know what? I really didn't think about much about the HQ. I probably should have thought more about the HQ. and But right. I wanted him just to jump in and he was just there yeah. to activate the right. Mine's wall. the same. Mine's just got dirtier weapons. Yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, well, that's my list. Uh, 3,001 points. Yeah. So mine's 2998. Oh, sorry. Also, on the land speeders, um, they've also all got. Um, Hunter Killer Minotaurs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to give them the Hunter Killers. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so I've got a Praetor, exactly the same, Artificer, Jump Pack, di- um, Digital Lasers. Sweet. Give me the reroll. Get the reroll, yeah. Uh, he's got Divining Blades. Okay. Which is a 55.2 handed, um, well, two bladed weapons, um, which are instant death. Good. All, all wounds rather than instant death on a six. So Brilliant. just murders people. It's just dirty. You pay like 55 points for it, I think. Um, so yeah, with a jump pack. So kind of very similar so far. Uh, my elites is where we go different. So yeah, you didn't yeah. have that many elites. Uh, any. Not overly. Uh, you went more heavy and fast. Heavy and fast. So I didn't I've have gone, any elites. I've gone big on elites and no heavies. So I have a Contemptor Dreadnought. Well, I have two Contemptor Dreadnoughts in one Talon. Right. In Dreadclaws. Yeah. I also have a box dread in a dreadnought drop pod. Okay. He's got the Inferno cannon. Okay. So just come down next to a bunch of people and murder. Um, the Contemptors have the uh, Karis Assault Cannon and Chain Fist. So got a bit of shot, a bit of punchy. Um, and my last elite is a more Deathian Strike Squad who are in a drop pod. Um, they are their kind of special recon squad. Okay. Um, so they all all come with combi melters. Right. Um, no, what did I give them? Uh, two missiles with suspensor webs and four combi plasmas. So See, I've got I didn't a bit of a thing any, about combi plasmas. See, I didn't put any loyal any any Raven Guard specific units. Yeah, so I use both, which we will, we will get to. Um, but yeah, I wanted the. Top of my phone doesn't work very well. Um, the Raven Guard don't have a Praetor what do you mean so like they haven't got a Praetor a more. named guy no 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 like um, oh a Legion specific one Legion specific no. Praetor not all the Legions do oh. they're slowly bringing them out over long time <laughs> um, but yeah so I've got a more Deathian squad like seven men in a drop pod um, coming down uh, all my inventory guys have Nuncio boxes because obviously it's half the amount of drop pods coming in and then next turn, loads of them aren't going to scatter because of the nuncios. Yep. Um, I then in troops, I have an assault squad, fifteen man. I have two ten man tactical squads, and I have a tactical support squad um, in a drop pod, all with melters. Um, and then fast attack to round out the list, I have a five man dark fury unit. Which are um, Raven Guard, Jump Pack, Assault Marines, all with Lightning Claws. Weird little curved Lightning Claws. Yeah, well, so they're the Raven Talons, the curved ones. They're the other guys have regular Lightning Claws. Mm. 
Um, but yes, yeah, so the sergeant's got raven claws and all got lightning claws. Just because I wanted to use the Raven Guard Legion units, and I thought the Dark Furies could go with the Praetor and just be a punchy five-man kind of bodyguard idea. Um, and then to round out, two Primaris Lightning Strike Fighters, both with four Kraken Penetrator missiles for my large anti-tank, and uh, a set of Sun Fury missiles, oh. which are anti-inventory. Um, but yeah, and that's my list. So it's all inventory, two contemptors, and a dread. So kind of dreadnought heavy. Because yeah. I thought I wanted to play on that veteran idea and that they've been long serving. So actually they would probably have some dreadnoughts um, because that just tends to be the case. Um, so they're kind of my veteran part. And then the uh, boots on the ground coming in drop pods is very, as we read, the way they fought. And that, um, uh, what do they call it? Interface whatever it was i can't remember i talked about it and everything um you know I or, think... orbital interface raids so the idea that all these drop pods are coming down that's the orbital part <laughs> and raiding with their inventory who are coming in getting into key positions causing problems and then you've got the lightning fighters doing the strike runs what we should um, do is figure out how much our list cost oh god because 82 pounds for three jet bikes is insane yeah well yeah yeah, that's it. Yours will probably be more expensive because of those. But I mean, yeah, I need just, five just packs three dread claws is quite expensive. <laughs> Let alone all the other drop pods and then the marines. Yeah, so my my jet Mine's bikes alone. Cheaper. My jet bikes alone are four hundred and twenty-five quid. Yeah, that's yeah. insane. But yeah, so it was funny that we did very similar lists in complete isolation. Yeah, I I think I'd like to, I'd like to have a squad of five jet bikes. So. Mm. I was like, well, I might as well put them in here. Might as well put them in. They fit the Raven Guard. Yeah, and they're of very kind of you know hit and run, get in, blow something up, get out. Yeah, don't get held down. Um, so yeah, it works quite well. Maybe I should buy some jet bikes. Hmm. Can you oh, buy them cool. singly on their own? You can buy them singly. Yeah, no, you can't. They're out of stock. Oh, are you? Yeah, you can. I'm you singular. can, but you can't. <laughs> yeah, thirty quid per one. Jeez. Uh. Anyway. Oh, that worked out pretty well. Mm. It would be really interesting if these guys didn't go through that battle at Gate 42 and then to see what happened. Like, you know, because Korax kind of dodged a bullet. A lot of the Terran born um, sided with Horus in some of the Loyalist Legions, right? Yeah. Um, and Korax kind of got away with it because a load of them were massacred. By his hand in choosing them to go but it was also Horace's plan yeah yeah which is the only reason i think the ashen cause didn't massively go yeah Horace is great yeah because actually they're the reason we're now dead and now exiled so we kind of don't like either of them no um but yeah it would have been really interesting to see how that legion worked whether they all went Horace has betrayed us all or whether they went they got wind and were like actually we're going to side with Horace and going to try and do a coup like the white scars yeah um, it would be really interesting to see how that played out. But we do get a cool kind of renegade chapter out of it, so I'm not complaining. No. Maybe we just need to get one of our friends to do them. Yeah, well, you know, Tim is the Raven Guard in our in our group. Yeah, but Tim doesn't play. <laughs> anyway, let's have a group break. We'll come back with a final segment, uh, the 40K Book Club.
The tendrils of the warp are far-reaching and communicating using the great social media anonymicon. Do I? What's that? Do I have to say that? Yeah, it's a keeper anonymicon. Anonymicon. Anyway, it's apparently never been easier. Reach out and connect. Find them on the Adeptus Terror podcast page on Facebook www.facebook.com forward slash the Adeptus Terror podcast and the Adeptus Terror podcast community safe room Facebook group www.facebook.com forward slash TATP safe room. You can also connect to them on Instagram to see some of what they get up to in between episodes at the Adeptus Terror podcast. Give these losers a break and please give them a like and a follow. Thanks, guys. Welcome back. This is the 40K Book Club, and our book this month is The Double Eagle. Super weird name for a book. Yeah, kind of. Like, I don't know. Perhaps it's the rude part of me. <laughs> okay. Sniggers slightly when That's I hear not it. where my mind went. But really? Fine. I went uh, more Nazi-esque. Oh, really? I don't know why. It sounds very kind of... Bah. Right. No, I don't, know, I don't know why. No. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> carry on. Um, so yeah, we're going to go through Double Eagle. We're going to talk about its kind of general synopsis. Go through the the main characters, um, and then do our main themes and draw out of the book. We're going to try not to do the whole blow by blow, play by play, chapter by chapter thing. Um, I've actually broken down um, in the main occurrences, events kind of section of the book review. Uh, the different parts that the book broke it down into and summing up roughly what that's for and what it does to the overarching story. But there's going to be hopefully a lot less of the, and then this happened and then this person said this and this thing shocked me. And we'll do a little bit of that in the cool moments that we always do. And yeah, hopefully it'll be a really good book club. Firstly, did you enjoy this book, Sam? Um, as a simple kind of yes no because I'm sure we'll share our o- overall feelings as we talk but oh okay yes cool yeah I really enjoyed the book I didn't think I was going to to the start and you are a grouchy person like, yeah it's a yeah. bit weird that you like something yeah yeah I know uh, I'm not that critical though doesn't take that much to please me doesn't I'm quite easily oh right okay um, but anyway yeah. so the synopsis of the book to set the scene um, it's a war between the Imperium and Chaos on the word, uh, world of Innothis. Um, it's part of the Sabbat world battles. Um, and it's going badly for the Imperials. The armies of the Imperial Guard have been defeated and are retreating. The Innothian air force is all but annihilated. And the fate of the world rests squarely on the shoulders of the pilots of the Imperial Navy and one special guard unit. The Fantine? Fantine? Fantine, Fantine I think it was. Fantine. Was it Fantine? I thought it was Fantine. It could be said either way is the way it's spelled. So yeah. Fantine, Air Corps, the only dedicated aviator unit in the Imperial Guard, which I thought was interesting, did not know that. Mm-hmm. Um, they find themselves in the thick of the fighting. The remnants of the Enothian Air Force don't seem to be able to offer much. However, perhaps for some of them, they can yet make a contribution to the war effort. That's kind of snippets taken out of the uh, like back of the book and um, grab reviews of the book that I could find um, just to set the scene of what we're talking about. It's a battle on a world focused around the Imperial Navy, particularly the Fantine uh, Air Corps, and 
um, yeah, that, that's kind of a small snippet picture of what's going on in the larger scale war. Uh, next is the main characters. Um, so I've put, interestingly, there doesn't seem to be a single protagonist. No, so normally in heresy books or normally in, in Black Library books, you have one space marine, one human, and then one kind of like weird other person. <laughs> so it might be another space marine or it might be a human, but you normally have yeah. like one either side. Yeah, or like here are the three people and you're going to follow them throughout the book and it's yeah. very obvious to see who those people yeah. are. This book doesn't particularly do that. Instead, you get a handful of individuals that we follow and, and they interconnect. Um, and some who I found hard to remember because there were so many names thrown at us at one point. I was like, are these guys the main guys? Is that guy the main guy? Like, I couldn't quite grasp grasped it. As you go through the story, you kind of work out, right? Yeah. But um, yeah, there were lots and lots of people um, that are talked about in the book of part of these squadrons and different flight squadrons and different navy corps and part of the Enothian guard and yeah, lots of lots of people that appear, disappear, die, stay around, come in and out of the story. It was hard to kind of get grasp of to start with. Um, but the one thing I would say about the characters is they're very, very well-rounded individuals, particularly the ones that I would consider the main characters. None of them are the kind of stereotypical hero with no flaws or detestable person. They all have their kind of good and bad and um, uh, issues that they're struggling with um, and moments of doubt and fear as well as great um, skill in combat and funny one-liners like it felt like every character had a bit of everything um which i really enjoyed uh, is that something you found yeah i agree with that i yeah. think it was i think it was worth, worth yeah they were really well written I, I think the characters really make or break this book yeah because if they were a bit naff or a bit too comic book which yeah. some 40k books are um i cover this a little bit more later but about i really like the fact there are no space marines in this book mm. Yeah, no, it was a nice there was fresh no, change. There right? was no superhuman moment. There was no, yeah. like, I can be shot by a billion people and mm. be fine type moments. It yeah. Was, yeah, it was good. Yeah, so our main characters. First, we have Bree Jagdia, or Jaglia, as I kept hearing it. It's not Jaglia. Uh, that's what I kept hearing as ja- I was listening to it. Oh, right. Jagdia. Yeah, it's Jagdia. Um, but yeah, I, I, in my notes, I had Jaglia because I was doing it through Audible. I didn't have any written down. Yeah. So it wasn't until I started looking online at other people's reviews and thoughts and uh, character profiles. I was like, oh, okay, it's Jagdia. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, she is the commander of Umbra Flight of the Fantine Air Corps um, and comes across as quite a caring commander, but also quite hard as nails. She's quite grounded in her emotions um, and felt like that very well-rounded character. Um, she has a scene later in the book where she gets injured um, and um, is kind of arm in a sling. And she has a moment where she's kind of like about to like break down in hopelessness and she's kind of angry at herself, but she has that, that moment of fear or lack of being the hero, which I thought made her really human. Yeah. Um, I, I know she is human, but you know what I mean? Like relatable, I should say. Um, and she's awesome. She was probably my favorite character in the book on hindsight. I think she was my favourite character that we kept coming back to. Um, next, we have Vander Markwell. Uh, he is the recruit of the Fantines. Uh, young, tall, slender, quite considered quite handsome. Bit of a proper flyboy, flyboy of sorts. Uh, my initial thoughts was that I'm not going to like this guy. 
that he's going to be the one that I hate and I want to die. Really? I did. I was just like, oh, he's an idiot. He's young. He's being, you know, making silly mistakes, being entitled. Um, Kind of the opposite side of the coin of another character called Darrow, who I thought was going to be, they were almost going to be the foil of each other. And they kind of were, but not quite as much as I thought. Um, I kind of painted them with, uh, you're going to be the entitled ass the whole book. And, And I was wrong. Um, he is young and he's learning and you kind of go on this journey with him through the book of him making mistakes and there's times where you feel a bit rubbish for him and times where you want him to prove himself and you're kind of like, oh, actually, yeah, I want you to succeed because you're learning your lessons. Um, and there's some great moments of people kind of um, waking him up and reminding him of the real world and, um, you know, like I think his uh, fitter, chief fitter kind of has a go at him like, Stop blaming the bird. Stop blaming the fitters. Stop blaming other pilots. Look at yourself. Then you'll actually get better. And I love that that idea that this kid is trying to find his way and wants to be the best, and um, is is doing it messily. I actually kind of that was quite endearing to me. Yeah. Um, and I thought he was just going to be the clear. You're horrible, and I hate you. And you because of that, you're going to survive and um, be like the main hero. And I hate that idea. Um, on the flip side of that, you get Enric Darrow. He's one of the Enothian um, PDF pilots, um, and he's a new recruit as well. Um, so this is where I thought we were going to get a bit of a kind of double-sided coin. Oh, yeah, this is going to be like the hero. This is going to be yeah. the guy that is going to be the best pilot in the game. He's going to make mm. the kill shot, and then he kind of just fades. Yeah, well, so he's a pilot with some skill or possibly luck, and they kind of play with this idea a lot yeah. with his character. Um he becomes a man on the ground working hard in operations yeah. because his uh, plane gets wrecked and he can't go fly it because there's no flyers. No, but they also they withdraw the PDF, don't they? The PDF aren't fighting anymore. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so they, they hand it over to the Imperial they go, Navy. They do like, I think, what were they calling them? Like quarry flights and things. They were doing oh, yeah. some flying. Yeah, but not, but not like main fighting. No, not battles, so, no. So he gets, rather than fixing his plane, they basically ground him and I think they're going to send him off to somewhat another planet i think they're actually gonna get rid of him uh no i think it was uh far north kind of you're gonna get out of there and go and fly but I, I don't think it was flying i think it was literally your your no it wasn't flying no you're right it wasn't off world but it was no like, it, yeah, you're it gonna was go away. you're gonna go do something else now yeah. and, and and go away and then his commander gets him a job on in operations yes yeah yeah, yeah. eads who's quite a cool character not on a main character but we will talk about eads a yeah. bit later on um, but yeah, he. I thought he was going to be a much larger focus than he was. No. Um, especially after like when he crashes his plane and kind of gets out of it, and all the Fantine guys are like, "Good landing." Um, yeah, and he's like, "What?" And like, any landing you walk away from is a good one. Mm. Um, and yeah, and I was like, "Oh, okay, he's going to get kind of under the wing of the Fantines and be the ace." Yeah. And like you know, Top Gun Maverick kind of idea in my head. And and again, I was wrong. Like, this book does quite a good job at subverting what you think's going to happen with characters. Um. And but yeah, he disappears mainly for like part two of the book. He's just not in there. Um, but he he comes up again and appears kind of towards the end of the story. Um, and uh, yeah, he's a, he's a good character. Um, not much like he only just about makes main character for me. Yeah, it, 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 early on I thought he was going to be a main character, or at least like maybe he's going to be the one on the ground directing the flyers mm. to fight. But then he kind of just turns into a, a T boy. Yeah, and just helps out. Goes 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 on a runner, and, and I don't know. I kind of felt like there'd be more. Yeah, yeah. I thought he was being built up to be this big thing, and and he wasn't in the end, which was uh, quite refreshing. Again, 
yeah. actually a different kind of look at uh, characters like this book. Um, next we have August Kaminsky. Um, he's a vet flyer who can't fly anymore. Um, he's burnt from an injury. He's missing a hand. He's got a bad kind of basic prosthetic. He's now a munition drone doing driving. Um, it's very gruff. He isn't bitter, but frustrated at how he serves. Yeah. You know, he's like, I've got a job to do and I'm going to serve and I'm going to keep being loyal, but I'd rather be flying. Um, very straight talking individual. Um, but yeah, I quite liked uh, Kaminsky. Um, no nonsense, kind of old, gruff man. <laughs> yeah, because he, he has, a, he doesn't have eyes. He's blind, isn't he? No, that's Eads. Oh, sorry. Wrong yeah, one. Yeah. No, Kaminsky is the driver who shouts at Markwell when he gets drunk. Yeah. Gives him a pistol and is like, just shoot yourself. But he doesn't really, again, another character, which I thought was, because he used to be a pilot, didn't he? Yeah. And I was like, oh man, this guy is going to come back. Mm. He's going to jump in a in a down plane or something like that. And he's going to take yeah. off. And... It does kind of happen. Yeah, but not, not. Not in the same way that you thought. No. Yeah. I thought it was going to be, he was going to be another one. And like, yeah. they're going to form like an ace squadron together. Yes, yeah. And yeah. Yeah, well, and that's the thing, right? So I think with all these things said, it wasn't bad that those didn't happen. No. It was actually better, in my opinion. Yeah, because it turned, it, it moved it away from that kind of like, oh, anyone can be a hero. Yeah, or just that general sci-fi trope of, you know, like, yeah, the, the guy who's, you know, down of nothing comes through in the end. And like, yeah, I don't know. It's just like these very regular people telling a regular battle story. Mm. And I think that was really refreshing. I think it, it pointed out to me that there's probably other books like this that I just haven't read because actually I've read a lot of Space Marine battle books and I've read lots of heresy novels and very little of the other stuff. And actually the more Imperial Guard-focused stuff I might enjoy more, like this book. But anyway, one other character who I would consider a main character, and that's Oscar Viltry. Um, uh, he's a melancholy and fatalistic veteran um, from Fantine. Uh, he feels like he's living on borrowed time as he's nearly died twice before this war had even begun. Um, he all kept talking about fate's will for like half the book. Fate's will. Fate's will's coming for me. I'm going to die because I should have already died. Um, but I quite like Viltry. Uh, he's kind of he's very good. He's skilled at what he does. He's quite humble uh, and quite pessimistic. So I think I have a bit of a kindred spirit with Filtry. I'm like, yeah, that's that's a little bit me. Um, I'm a little bit like that myself. Um, but yeah, they're the main characters. I really enjoyed the characters. I thought they were all well-rounded. They all have their bits. And I'm subverted by some of the uh, interactions between them or what I thought where the book was going. It went a different way. And actually, I found that really um, refreshing in a way of grabbing me into the story. So I was like, actually, what is going to happen? Um, so yeah, anything else you want to chat about the characters? Anything you think I've missed? No, there's lots of kind of second hands and second, of yeah, the, like second Umbra Squadron Blanchard. He's yeah. a good character, but not enough to be a main character. Yeah, and I, I think um, actually no, we'll talk about that later. Cool, it's, it's about the way the book's written. Okay, so uh, the main themes and occurrences of the book. So like I say, we're going to try not to do the kind of play by play, but general mentions and small standouts will appear. Um, so the first thing I want to kind of talk about is the real human interactions and motivations that are told throughout this story. Um, there's this whole love story of Viltry and this Becca, the cafe girl, mm. which I, I don't know how I felt about about it. I wasn't expecting it in my grimdark novel. 
No. Um, which is kind of, again, quite cool. Um, but I also didn't care much about it either. <laughs> I think she was a mechanism to show how the planet is dealing with it. Okay. So like the fact that she had two jobs. Yes. To survive. So she was uh, worked in a factory and she worked in uh, the cafe. Yeah. And how the religion is still there on like she was the one that you yeah, followed into the church. Yeah, candles, yeah. Yeah, so I think her role was more about explaining the non-military personnel. Yeah, yeah. In, there aren't any the, others really. No, other. it's kind of her, right? Other yeah. than maybe the few the bar people you meet in some of the scenes and yeah, stuff. Well, but for like two seconds. Right? Exactly. So I think her role was more about explaining mm. to show that this isn't this isn't a dead war-torn world. This is actually almost like and there's a massive comparison in this book anyway, but almost like um, England during World War Two, yeah, or World War One. Like yeah. it's the whole at home, still being bombed, still under threat, but actually getting on. Yeah, you still um, need to keep going. And I think that that whole and also a bit of love story, a bit of an interest. It kind of t- t- tied them together, etc. So yeah, it was really interesting because again, I don't, I don't, can't remember any other 40k novel that I've read where there's like this big love story that kind of goes throughout. It doesn't take up loads of time of the book, I would no. say that. But every time they kind of go back to Viltree, he's thinking or talking to this Becca, the gaffer girl. <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of her, his main story throughout. And it's the is also her, you got to explain, uh, explore Viltree's character more through her. So the fact yes. that he'd never had fish. Yeah. Because his planet that he came from didn't have any doesn't, water. Have, doesn't have water, so he yeah. doesn't have any fish. Like, or the fact that he doesn't, he was trying things for the first time. He was, um, I, I don't know. I, I feel more that her role was important because it allowed you to explore the world and Viltry. Yeah, yeah. No, I would, I would agree. She's a good foil. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's lots of moments in this in this book that are very human. Uh, explores, you know, attraction. Like there's the pilots kind of getting off with each other, and um, what's her name, Ash, being a bit of a thirsty girl. <laughs> um, mental health and the strain of war and leadership and what that plays you know there was guys shaking um one of the things that i was really impacted by was um heckle who was uh darrow's original enothian major yep and most of their squad squad gets wiped out in the initial fight scene of the book and he hangs himself because he feels guilty i yeah. guess for those people that were lost yeah um and i was really not prepared for that at all no um and they, you know, deals with gout, doubt and pride, guilt, determination. Um, you get that with uh, Markwell. So he kind of goes off. First time we see him, he messes up. One of the vets takes bullets for him and survives, but he's never going to fly again. Mm. And Markwell goes off on a bender and he's like, I'm just not going to return. And, you know, that um, Jagdia has to go and find him and bring him back rather than um, registering him with the commi- commissariat. I can't even say the word. Commissarat. Commissars, basically. Who will shoot him. <laughs> For desertion. Um, yeah, and, and that's one of the big, big first scenes that made me go, Jagti is cool. <laughs> There's lots and lots of these kind of moments, right? Um, we also get a lot of headspace during the dogfights. And we'll talk about the dogfights separately, but there's moments of this kind of great stress and their feelings and their thoughts and them kind of getting over... Um, sensitized you know through the g-force and not hearing people properly or you know lights blinking wrong and them freaking out and then suddenly there's fighters on their tail and they've flown straight for too long because in the in the opening scene isn't it the 
where it says I've got full fuel, but I've been flying for like three hours. There's no yes. way I can have full yeah, fuel. Yeah, his, his gauge line's just not working. Yeah, and it, yeah, I thought that was quite cool. Yeah, and then making decisions of do I chase after this one? Do I pull out? Uh, is there anyone behind me? Like lots of great stress moments in the dogfights. Um, and it made me think of the X-Wing mechanic. So remember yeah. when we used to play X-Wing um, as a group and you'd like do a um, 180 turn with your ship and it was yeah. normally a red maneuver and you'd get a stress token yeah, because you were stressed and that meant that you couldn't focus fire or do special skills. And I was like, actually, that's kind of really... A good way of explaining why it's not stress as happens. in like, oh, I'm stressed because of this now. It's actually stress on the machine, stress on you, stress yeah, yeah. on the... Yeah. And just you can only concentrate on so many things, right? Yeah. Um. Uh, you also get that whole hierarchy co- competition, but also the brotherhood between all the pilots and the squadrons. You know, they're all kind of, they're all like, we're the best, you're the best. You know, we're all a, kind of stick to our own squadrons. But also, you know, we're all pilots. And you get uh, interactions, interestingly, with some of the other squadrons and the Fantine guys, but also between the Fantine guys and, and themselves in a squadron. Um, and how they kind of have their in-jokes and things that each of them do, like Lucky Charms and um, different um, kind of superstitions that they all have. Yeah. Uh, lots of human interaction in amongst their squadron, which I thought really made the scenes that weren't dogfights and air battles uh, really relatable. And actually, I think I enjoyed those just as much as the dogfighting because these characters felt like they were always developing due to this human interaction and motivations that are always being played out in this book so next we should probably go on to talk about the air battles themselves and the dogfights we've kind of been talking about that a little bit um how did you feel about them um i think i think because of audible and like they were very it was very it pulled you in loads right yeah and i think um with audible you have to listen and concentrate on what you're doing. So I found sometimes I'd get lost in where we were with a dogfight. Yeah. Um, which isn't down to poor writing. It's probably down to me doing something while listening to this rather than just... Yeah, I also found that that didn't take away anything. No, no, I no. I felt like it is going to be manic, right? Yeah. Like trying to, you know, you're, you're twisting and turning in the yeah. air and trying to... Like I was like, actually, that being lost feels like I'm in it. Yeah, I think it just it doesn't help with trying to remember what happened in the dogfight. Like, true. I mean, I guess it doesn't really matter about the ins and outs. It depends yeah. on it matters on the end, end thing, right? But I thought they were really good. I thought it was a really great dynamic to a Horace Heresy. Uh, sorry, a, um, a Black Larry book. It's not something I've ever read before. Mm. Um, like normally they don't do aerial combat very well. No, not like there's some that do space battles fairly well. Like the Night Lord Omnibus does space battles fairly well. But yeah. nowhere near this level. But then saying that, I also got quite confused in the in the Night Lord Omnibus space battles. Like yeah. again, it's the 3D picture yes. type thing for me, so I can't see in my head where they are. So yeah. it, it becomes a bit more challenging. But no, I yeah. thought they were really good. I thought it was it was very Battle of Britain esque. Yes, yeah, it was. Yeah, I mean, I thought the communication between the planes as well as the ops on the ground were great. They felt realistic and fought out. They felt like this could be how pilots and ops on the ground do communicate yeah i didn't feel like there there's some weird sci-fi weird kind of stuff going on yeah like there's a cloud in the corner going no go left 
No, it's not or any it's, of that or weird it's like stuff. Hey, a Halo Katana where she's like a projection in front of them. Yes, you're yeah, like, yeah. You wouldn't be looking at the projection in front yeah, of yeah. you. You're flying a plane. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. I like how they were like Umbra Four, Umbra Four, and you know, like they always use their squadron names, titles, numbers. Yeah. Rather than just being like, well, you know who the characters are, so we're just going to say Markwell and Jagdia. It's like, no, we're in the air. This is how we talk, and and that stayed throughout the book, and I thought that was really grounding and helped me stay in the battles. Yeah. Um, you also get where Darrow, he's working on the ground. The, this is the new recruit guy who's working under Eads, the blind operator. Um, and uh, he gives the announcement that one of the chaos carriers, the land carriers, has been blown up. Yeah. Um, I think Viltry ends up doing it. Um, and everyone on the ground is like cheering and like, you know, and, and it, it just made it feel very human. And actually, that's the kind of thing that was happening under you know, underground in London during the Blitz. You know, uh, it would be like, yeah, mission was a go, mission was good, and they'd be like, yeah, yeah, go our boys. Felt very much like that. It was cool. Um, I did, I did, you know, I do say following it was sometimes overwhelming, but I felt it kind of enhanced it for me. It felt me, it kept me in the action. Like, I wanted to know what's going on, what, where's he going? Oh, no, there's someone behind him. Is there someone behind him? Like, those questions were going through my head. I felt like maybe that helped because it was audible. I think if I was reading it, I'd be like, what? I don't know. I didn't have the book in front of me. I don't own the book. I'm no. non-audible. So it would be interesting to go back or see a physical copy and read a dogfight and see if I got the same out of it. Yeah. Because I think I'd get confused by reading it off a page, whereas listening to it helped me visualize what's going on or being in the cockpit. Because when a pilot had no idea what was going on, I definitely didn't. Yeah, and it was like okay, I'm kind of in the cockpit with the pilot, and what they've got to spin, and they're you know not really sure what's going on. Neither do I. I felt very in it because of the way it was described, and they didn't get boring either. Like they did go up in scale. Yeah. So that helps, but I was never bored of the dogfights. It's not like oh here's a dogfight, can we get back to the character moments? As well as the opposite, I wasn't like oh here are all the character moments and interactions and conversations. Can we just get to a dogfight, please? I enjoyed each kind of side of the coin, as it were, mm. throughout the book. I, there's not much about the book that I could go, oh, I didn't really like that. There's one or two little gripes that we will probably get to, but um, not much. So going forward, what I thought we could do is talk about which what of each part of the book so is broken into four parts, um, adds or brought to the overarching story and journey of our characters. Sure. So part one, we get some scene set in, introducing lots of characters. Uh, this is where I wasn't really sure who to remember because it's early days in the book. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, Darrow probably is someone I need to pay attention to. Um, I hadn't really paid much attention to Jagdia because I thought we were going to follow Darrow. So I hadn't paid much attention to Umbra at all. Uh, Markwell stood out because of everything that was going on. Um, but... Yeah, very, very little. And I was like, okay, they're introducing the Apostles and Halo squadron that um, Viltry was originally part of. And uh, Umbra guys, who's even now I can't tell you all of their names. No. You know, but they were given to us. We, we were introduced to all of the squadron members. But it was just a bit too much for me. Like to know who, who am I supposed to be following here? Yeah. Um. And then other characters who like like Kaminsky who had quite an impactful first scene in the book and Darrow and stuff they faded away 
where I thought they were going to be front and center of the book the whole time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we get some small dog fights introducing us to Obacon, who's the main kind of fight, chaos fighter ace. Um, and yeah, he pops in and out and works as quite a device of that someone ain't making it out alive. Oh, okay, here's the killer. Like they eventually call him, don't they? The killer bat. Yeah. Um, that he's he's just murdering some of the best pilots that the Imperium have. What color was he? Uh, was pearl white. Pearl white. That yeah, was pearl it. white. He was the only flyer that was pearl white. And I liked it because you didn't get much detail about his character. No. Like at all. He was just a foil to say somebody is probably going to die. Yeah. Which I, added I, tension to I the dogfights. I don't dog think fights. you needed to though, did you? No, no. That's no. Again, that's not a bad thing. But um, again, I thought we were going to get more of him in the book. He only appears a few times. Mm. Um, and he's, he's again, I mean, we're talking about books. So of course, we're going to spoiler. But his death was very anticlimactic. Which wasn't a bad thing. No, I, I actually I think thought it was, was great. That was more because it was just a he's a he's a nameless, faceless person. Yeah, like, well, he's, I, he's part I, of the war just, machine, and people can just die. Yeah, you know, it doesn't matter how good you are. If you're outplayed, you're outplayed. They're not space marines. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I, I liked that he was this kind of device of there's a real threat. So when it happened later in the book, and you've got to know the characters, you're like, oh no, it's that one. It's that guy. Even if you couldn't remember his name, you you would remember Pearl White, yeah, um, Ravager, and he. You were like, oh, who's not making it? Which I, I really liked. It added so much to the dogfights of threat. Mm, I agree. Um, it introduced us to a, a few smaller characters in part one. Um, the retreating Imperial tank crews, um, to name name a few. Uh, they're trying to get back to their s- safe lines. Serves as a reminder that there's a larger war going on as well. That actually these are retreating from the original fight and that the pilots are coming into a war. It's not just about this air battle. There's a whole load of tanks trying to get away and they're getting bombed and harassed by enemy fighters and the Imperial fighters are trying to keep them safe and get them back home. And then there's the big retreat of the big city later on and that kind of widens that viewpoint, right? Um, but yeah, I thought the tank crew really helped serve that idea that actually it isn't just an air battle. There is a land battle, but it didn't go well. So now we're relying on our air troops. Um, yeah, I felt like part one was really good for peeling back the curtain as well on what goes on in between battles, uh, Imperial Navy squadrons, how the war effort is organized and fought. It wasn't the most gripping opener. No, but then I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. No, ne- neither do I really. Like, um, I think it was really good to kind of set up that whole this isn't your normal space marine battle. Yeah. Like where they literally just sit in silence and meditate between battles. Like these are real people. They are again, it kind of leaned into that World War Two vibe for me. Yeah. Yeah, and people, you know, sadly do just die in in a war. Yeah. That you'll get to you know, and it wasn't like, oh, we're gonna build up this character so you get to know them loads and then they're gonna die. You know, so I thought there was going to be a thing, again, talk about subversion, um, with Ash and Markwell. You know, they hook up, she's all like, you're the new young hot star, and then he lets her down and she goes off with someone else, and I th- and he was spurned by it and feeling, like, you know, upset about it. And then I think I initially thought they're going to get back together because he's going to do something cool, and then she's going to get blown up. But that didn't happen at all. Mm. 
you know, like some of those things just didn't happen because actually they were telling a more realistic story than I had written into it, um, which I thought was really cool. Anyway, uh, on to part two of the book. Um, uh, it really focuses on Umbra Squad, and this is where you, they kind of become the main characters of the book. Uh, you get Jagdeer and Markwell. Um, especially Markwell kind of becomes center stage of all the things that happen with him. Um, and he kind of gets into that main bracket because of this part of the book. Um, there's also Filtree, who's now with the ground forces. He was flung from his crashing flyer, uh, Marauder Bomber, after blowing up a Chaos Land carrier. And uh, is now retreating with the tank crews, which I think was quite cool. Like, Viltry really goes on a physical journey in this book, mm. um, as well as an emotional one, I guess. Um, in these chapters, I also found myself really enjoying the dogfights and the way they were conveyed that we've already talked about. I was here that I was like, actually, yeah, this is really cool. And I decided to get gripped to the stories. I think that was because I was becoming more gripped to the characters. Like, I cared more. So when they went into a dogfight, I cared who came out of it. Yeah. Because early on, it was like, okay, yeah, they're fighting. Oh, cool, they killed someone. Oh, okay, yeah, whatever. Um, but yeah, I suppose that's standard for any book, right? It takes time to kind of grow onto individuals, especially if they're not being portrayed as, he's the hero, from the very first sentence, uh, which this book doesn't do. Um. We get more jumps towards the retreating tank convoy and they're getting annihilated by bombers and retreating and the Imperial Flyers of Umbra are trying to defend them and uh, get rid of the, the strafing and bombing runs of the enemy. And the dogfights just get more manic. I found myself now, like I say, starting to get nervous for the pilots that we knew. But actually, is Jagdeer going to make it? Is Blanchard going to make it? What about Markwell, who actually has gone through quite a journey in this part of the book of being shot down by Ash and um having this misfire and trying to find his way and um he gets into the conversation and argument with the priest in this chapter as well which i think is a really good humanizing moment for him um and yes i was a bit more on his side by by the end of part two uh, and then we go into part three um anything you want to add so far that's kind of the first half of the book no 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 i'm fine cool so part three is uh the retreat from Umbra's airbase, uh, where they're kind of placed, and the eventual retreat of the main city of Theda, um, which gets basically large-scale attacked. The Chaos forces have pushed to there. They're ahead of schedule. They're not as, you know, the people um, in Theda thought they were going to be safe for quite some time, and suddenly are attacked by mass bombings and even ground troops from the Blood Pact, I think they were called, mm. um, which is, I guess, a bunch of cultists, like um, Chaos Army militia. Because militia. there was no spa Chaos Space Marines. There was no even Warlord, really. There's like one scene where the Warlord talks to them and goes, this is the day of days, kill them. Yeah. That's about it. Um, which I liked as well. They didn't build up either side as having these great heroes or villains. It was just, we're doing a job, we're fighting in a war. Um, and the Chaos ones weren't even like, I'm blessed by a Chaos God Nurgle. It was just, we're pilots. Which I actually really liked. Um, they, they, they were the same as the Imperials, almost. Which I thought was cool. Um, the Imperials' perspective of this book is basically they are constantly on the back foot. All the way through the book. Which again, is... is Unlike most 
books that are based on the Imperial perspective. There's there's downs and backups and we're going to fight a last stand and oh, we won. But this didn't feel like any of that. It was just, we're going to hold them. Now they're overrunning us. We're going to hold them. Now they're overrunning us. Oh, they're going to hold us. Now they're going to overrun us. Um, And I don't know. That did, like, I was, at one point I was like, is anyone making it out of this? Is this actually a Chaos Victory book? It wouldn't be a bad thing. I, I was like, no, it wouldn't at all. Uh, as an alternative ending, it wouldn't make me mad at all. But it did surprise me that that's kind of where it was going the whole time. Singing by part three, okay, they're back at the city now. They're going to hold a defense at this city, and this is where the final battle is going to be. Oh no, we're evacuating the city, and loads of people are dying. Whoa, okay, mm. you know that was that was mad. I wasn't expecting that at all. Um, and again, from listening to it, I couldn't see how many pages I had left. You know, no, no, I I wasn't looking at the clock and watching how many hours I had left on the book. I was just like, oh, this is probably where the last stand's going to happen. And then the next chapter's like, everybody get out. Um, this is the part of the book where Jagdir gets hit heavy while saving another pilot, something that happens, I think, at least three times, someone kind of getting in the way of an already already injured machine and takes the bullet for them. Um, because of this, we get her perspective being on the ground, injured, trying to get through a city that's being attacked and invaded and all the chaos and craziness that's going on. And this kind of gives us a new insight into the fighting as well. Uh, that I felt was missing from the earlier chapters, where it was just dogfight home, dogfight home. Um, you literally had a someone trying to survive an invasion and a bombing of a city, um, a raising of a city. And I thought that was really cool, using one of the main characters that you've grown to um, enjoy and then put them in a real moment of peril that is unlike any others experienced in the book. I thought it was really cool. Um, and had me gripped to what was going on in in that part, rather than being like, oh yeah, they're all retreating, cool, what are our pilots doing? I thought it was really good to have someone we knew retreating like all of the people that lived in the city were doing. Yeah, I guess if you didn't have that, then there would be that kind of weird disconnect to um, to the fact that all of our protagonists, all of the people we're following are in planes, right? Yeah. Or just get in your plane and fly off. Yeah. Like, you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, and no, it was cool to have her injured, so in the Medicaid, and then having to, like, run through the streets. That's where she has a moment of kind of breaking down, and then one of my pet peeves of the book happens, but we'll talk about that in the good good bit. <laughs> good, bad, and ugly bit. Um, and, and last, we have part four. So um, this is the, the days of days, as they call it, the end battle over the sea. So they've retreated to some islands, and they're all based on these little islands now, and Chaos are coming for the final kill. The only thing it does kind of feel a bit weird is, where is the rest of the Imperium? Yeah. Well, they, they do talk about the rest of the planet is also at war. And yeah, this yeah, is yeah. a retreating line. But I mean... I so mean, everyone like, is retreating. The rest of the Imperium. Like, this war wasn't something that was like, oh, it started, and then it got dealt with. Like, so it wasn't, it wasn't like it was like... Um, oh, like... Like over in a week, yeah. Right, this this war had been going on a long time before the Imperial Army got there. Yeah. So the Imperial Army get there, and then they're like, they just let themselves get annihilated. They let they. Well, chaos just had more numbers and more forces than they anticipated. I think. Yeah, I guess it's just a 
I don't know. It kind of feels like if this is a, a an important world, maybe it's not an important world. That maybe that's it. Like it's not an angry world. It doesn't. It doesn't. It got deserts on it. Well, they so. did talk about that at one point. They kind of said, "Look, the chaos are trying to cut off. There's the crusade happening, and the front fleet is doing really great, right? Yeah. Puntering through. But chaos now want to cut them off so that even if they are winning at the front, they're getting attacked from behind, like cutting off the crusade uh, from supplies and reinforcements and stuff." And that's why Anothis was important enough to have the war on it. Because yeah. actually, if they gain this world, we can't then get to the next world or the next world. Yeah. Um, that was kind of the idea, I think. Yeah, I guess so. Um, but yeah, again, like, book's very real about kind of war. And maybe and that's stuff, it, actually. Right? Maybe it, that's what why I'm questioning it is because every other book, it's always like, oh, no, we're about to die. And then a space marine fleet turns up. Yeah. Like, it's like, oh, okay, that's fine then. But here, it's actually, this planet is screwed. This planet is dying. Yeah, this planet yeah. is. I think we're kind of done. Yeah. Um, not quite the case in the end, as we discover, but it definitely felt that way all the way through as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is the crescendo of the book, part four. It's the end chapters. It's where it's going to get crazy, right? Um, we get this whole kind of thing with Viltry where he's technically dead now because his plane crashed and he was written off as dead. Um, but he goes back, he's trying to find his wing and he um, ends up joining Umbra. There's this kind of cool scene where uh, Jagdi is like, we've got these four birds that have accidentally been given to us. Birds as in planes. Yeah. Um, and so let's go find four pilots. And she gets Kaminsky, who flew her out of Theda and had kind of become a bit of a friend, I guess, to her. Um, Viltri turns up and he's like, you're a pilot. Cool, done. And then they get two Enothian pilots. Um, Scalter, who we hear about in operations with Darrow. Um, and so Darrow comes back into the fold and gets to fly a plane again. Mm. Um, I really like the scene with Eads, where he's like, he's new recruit, he's gonna not ready, he's gonna go up there and die. I'm trying to protect him. I thought mm. that was really nice. But there's that one side of kind of like let him live his own in his own life, little man. Yeah. Like he's trained for this and he is a pilot and he has fought and he did survive and he did something very cool in the way that he moved and got out of danger, um, which is why Jagdeer even wanted him. Uh, but then there's that other side of kind of like, actually he's just looking out for him and wants him to be alive. He's kind of playing the mentor dad kind of role. Uh, and I thought that was really cool. I will say, I completely forgot that Viltry and Jagdeer knew each other. I completely forgot that Viltry was Fantine. Right. I'm from the same air court. Mm -hmm. I was like, how do they know each Oh, okay. <laughs> and then I had to go back through and be like, oh yeah, that's why. Mm -hmm. um, really just kind of thing but you get all the kind of characters that we've been hearing about during the book coming together yeah you know and forming a kind of here's the super squad like you know here's some new recruits and yeah they're not the best but also we've got planes so why not and yeah or suddenly all your characters are in one basket and in one battle it was quite clever the way it kind of they all started very spread out yeah doing their own thing and now they're all in this one hangar together with 12 planes um and the final battle kind of starts and there's all sorts going on and uh, i remember feeling like okay here we go we're gonna lose everyone here and it's gonna be one after another one after another and then obacon comes back the pearl white ravager um and i just generally had that ominous feeling of someone is not coming home from this that we're gonna lose one of the big names um i don't think we did though really um like 
in terms of being killed by Obacon, anyway. Um, but yeah, just another thing that subverted me. You know, you get um, Ranfrey going down, and you get Cordial go down, who gets killed by a bunch of birds. Which is a callback to something that happens earlier. Yeah, yeah, all the uh, pink flamingos. Still kind of. Was it pink flamingos? Uh, kind of pink bird. Oh, pink bird. Were yeah. they pink? No, I think they were white, but because of all the blood oh, from them pink. going in the engine, yeah, they were yeah, pink yeah, feathers, yeah. Um, which they then decided to call lucky feathers. Um, and yeah, you just get in this big battle. The whole part is really just in and out, in and out of the battle, and you lose um, some known people. Blanchard, number two, who kind of held everything together during the while Jagdeer was injured, gets killed. He's really the only kind of sad death for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you get Darrow becoming this kind of triple ace, and you're guessing he's probably going to stay with the Fantines, uh, kind of left open ended to to his character, uh, which I thought was cool. Um, and then a weird ending with Markle. How did you feel about the end of this book? Um, I, I don't know. I'm I'm so used to like Marines either winning the day or like the world blows up. It didn't feel like a. It didn't feel like, in my opinion, black library books normally end in one or two ways. Either we're victorious or the whole world is obliterated. Yeah. Like, and they didn't really do either of those. Either of those. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I mean, it was, I really liked the book. Like I did like it. Um, I liked how it was so real. Like it was probably, it's probably the realest book that I've ever read from black library. Yeah. Definitely. Like there was very little fantasy in it. Yeah. Um, if any, really, uh, very little fantasy. Um, so I did really like it. I don't know. It just didn't. I mean, we were, I, I feel like I'm quite picky about books. When the way I, whenever I look back at them, I don't think I've ever liked like one book properly. <laughs> um, so it was really good. I did like it. I, I just I, I feel very indifferent about it. Yeah. Well, you kind of get this Markle over the sea. He, he's blown up the super chaos ace, and he's finally become an ace himself because he's got five kills over the book. Mm-hmm. You're kind of happy for him. He goes through some jealousy with Darrow, who's doing better than him ends up being a triple ace by the end of this book yeah um and you know and then he's just kind of passed out i guess in his plane because they're like trying to register him and he talks about his head being forward and his cab being forward of carbon dioxide for like half an hour and you're like well he's probably dead then so i guess he's there he's open for a book number two yeah like maybe being rescued by chaos survivors being turned into like a chaos yeah, or being found and being brought back. Or, or being found and being legendary fighter. Or dies. just dead. Or just dies. I mean, it, it wouldn't be a bad thing if he dies. No, well, that's the thing. I was like, I feel weird about it because it's kind of felt, I feel a bit numb. I feel like if he died, what was the glory and the point of his story? But actually, that was war. That's what happens in That's war. what war. and Kids it, go to war, they become heroes for two seconds and then die. And it's about the overarching outcome over yeah. his own story. So Yeah, yeah. So I was like, this is really clever and really good. But I also I don't feel excited by it. Yeah. Um, so I found that really but, interesting. But that's, is that because we, in in today's culture, and today's movies, today's yeah. books, are always like, it's all right, because the hero will always survive, and mm-hmm. the hero will always be victorious. And that may maybe come in different forms. But if you look at movies, like, there's very few movies where, at the end, the... Okay, let's look at um, the first Avenger. Very similar. Cap. Cap success successfully stops the bombs. Yeah. But he passes out. Or he, he's going to hit the ice. There's no way he can survive. 
and yet it goes well it's fine he was instantly frozen he was kept alive and then now he's back <laughs> yeah. it's like it's that kind of moment all movies where actually if he just died yeah it would have been actually yeah. a, a pretty good movie still yeah well something like so um the ones that kind of do it for me in that way funny enough is like it's on many levels a terrible movie but i love it gladiator Oh, yeah. He dies at the end. Yeah. But it's and, the same thing, isn't it? And actually, yeah. that's very out of the normal for us. Yeah, yeah. That's saving Private Ryan. Yeah. You know, all the squad's dying to get Ryan home. Yeah. And you're like, oh, yeah. And that's a war movie. And yeah. this, this felt like that. The same for, um, oh, what was the, you made me watch it. Band of Brothers? Band of Brothers. Yeah, yeah. Very Where just he gets sent home. Right? He gets sent, well, it is real, isn't it? So yeah. he gets sent home and on the way home, he's, his car's are overturned, gets, gets hit by something and the car flips and he dies. Yeah. On his way home from war. Yeah, and you're yeah. like... Yeah, he survives the whole World War Two and dies on a, on a peaceful car. time. Yeah, right? exactly, yeah. right? And it's that whole thing of books and fantasy type movies and a lot of like Hollywood movies are there to sell you this it's all right, the hero will survive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But actually, all of the examples we've given are based on some semblance of truth. Yeah. So really... Maybe yeah, no, book... I thought it was a great ending, but yeah. it didn't leave me with the standard Hollywood, which I don't think it should have done. No. But it just... Standard Hollywood, or even standard um, 40K. Yeah. Look at the book, yeah, I, yeah. the book I keep remembering at this point, and when I was listening to this, is the, um, you know, the, the, the Death Watch book, where they're killing... They're, they're about to be overtaken by the gene stealer cold by mm. the gene stealers and somehow he survives like yeah. the marine and you're like what like he was underneath like the rocks as they all yeah, fell yeah, yeah. and it's like how did he survive and that's because it's that kind of the hero always so survives the superhero yeah and, and actually this isn't yeah which I and, and Marco hope... isn't actually really a hero he's a war hero in terms of he kills the, the killer ace pilot right yeah and he's now an ace and he's yeah. kind of made it He's not a heroic character. No, but he becomes hero. He becomes the hero because he kills the ace. He kills the the big yeah. bad from yeah. the evil from the from the from the chaos side. And actually, he isn't one. Well, he is one, but he he isn't one because he dies. Yeah. He did his job. He did what he was there yeah. to do. Defend his planet. And stuff happens. And then stuff happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was a, it was a cool way of ending it. I think that's a really good point to move on to the two cool yes. moments of the book. Let's books. do the cool, two cool moments and wrap up what I think was quite an enjoyable book. Yeah, so my two cool moments are I've kind of gone with dogfights. So dogfights in, in general, they were a particular favourite of mine. I liked how they described a, a 3D war space that actually you don't get in 30k novels of Void Warfare. A lot of the time in a lot of the time in 30k novels or when you're seeing cause I don't have any reference points for for uh in atmosphere fighting really for this. Yeah. Um a lot of my references are the Void Warfare stuff. Yeah. And in in the Void of Space even though they're in space, it still feels like a, a a flat 2D battleground. Whereas in this book, it was really 3D. It was really like someone's above me, someone's over to the left, someone's below me, like going through the canyons. Like it felt like an actual real 3D war space. Um, and, and, and doing it wrong, sometimes it was a little hard to follow. And that's probably because it was an audio book rather than reading it. Um, for me and actually maybe from what you were saying it's meant to feel hard to follow because you're yeah. being caught up in this kind of franticness and actually that was really good and I really liked that part um, my second cool moment is uh, I like the descriptions of, of the base elements okay um, so the fact that you don't you don't get this level of description with space marine books they don't focus on the fact that um, the, the the way that the the Ford operating base was set out the fact that it was it was in 
Uh, it was in the jungle. It had all of the camo uh, line cloaks over top of them to, to, yeah, to yeah. disguise the planes. Um, and actually, space marines, I tend to find when they talk about space marines, are so brazen. They'll sit there with their feet up on a box and yeah. be smoking next to a campfire, <laughs> burning like um, uh, wet wood to create smoke signals. Whereas these guys genuinely were terrified to be found. To be found, and the whole base when they was the when they were on the alert on the watches were um, made to go to operation ready and stand stand there just in case it all kicks off because they're that terrified they're going to get found out and they're yeah. going to get bombed. Um, and I really like the fact that it, it focuses on the planet being a PDF planet. Yeah. Then the Navy taking over and actually how these people in this, in this book, are, are they could be us. Like, yeah. I know everyone always talks about, oh, the guard, they're all like, they're actually the super superhuman elite versions of, of, of humans, um, like the SAS version. Yeah, and actually, yeah. these people weren't. These people were us. Yeah, there's a mix, isn't there? They're, they're clearly some highly trained pilots. But you get that in the real world. But you get that in the real world. Yeah. And you then have, yeah, the PDF guys who actually like, you know, again, Darrow, Completely keeps up. Yeah. You know, does loads of simulations and is a great pilot. Yep. But was just part of the PDF. Yeah. He's just a flyer. Yeah. He's just, and, just a, a, and a kid that had only just gone out for the first time. Yeah. He is a nameless, faceless person in the machine that is the yeah, war, yeah. war effort. Yeah. Um, and, and that's why I think it kind of really, especially with all my work with the air cadets and, and yeah. actually quite a big love of planes, um, obviously the massive strong vibes of Battle of Britain going off and fighting against the 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 uh the the big bad um other spacecraft other other planes so i i i really like the i think the setting and um the way in which they told the story were some of my two cool moments of the mm. book cool so i went for just two moments like yeah happenings shall we say because mm-hmm. uh, i was spending a lot of time talking about the stuff that you've already just said mm-hmm. um so i went for kaminsky uh rolling the cyclone flyer uh with jagdia when they're trying to get out of theater um uh he kind of barrel rolls so that jagdia can shoot the fire the gun and blow up the chaos interceptor and she's really taken aback by his skill um and uh, i just thought that was really cool it kind of got me like oh yeah the guy's awesome like he couldn't fly anymore because he's got this bad hand and now he's doing it and he's actually really good um, I thought that was cool. Uh, and number two, I think, would be when they were getting everyone together at the end. Like I did pop a little bit. I shouldn't have been so fanboy, but I was like, oh, they've got four birds and they need four flyers. Oh, Kaminsky's going to be in. Yeah, they got Kaminsky. Oh, they're going to get Darrow. And they teased it and then took it away and then brought him in. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, and that whole bit where they were kind of getting the A team together, right? Like, I felt that way. Although they were a ragtag bunch, it was like, Needs must, and all our characters are coming together. Viltry getting back in the plane and being a really good fighter and being like, oh, wow, this is cool. Like, just that whole part, I really kind of popped for all the characters coming together and now suddenly working together as one squadron. I loved that they brought them all in together. It's good. Um, cool. So to round out, we've got the uh, good, the bad, and the ugly of the book, if there was any ugly. Okay. Um, first the pacing I thought it was good didn't slow too much Ju- it jumped around as most classic black libraries do yep. it didn't have too much of that trope that they do tend to do where it's like someone's about to die but you're not going to see it we're going to flash to something else yeah. there are a few of those moments but not many yeah. which so it's a bit forgivable um, but yeah I just felt like it didn't let up it just kept going character moment fight character moment fight until the last chapter was pretty much all fighting that was because it had rose to that occasion, so it didn't feel weird, or like it was there because it 
wasn't needed, but it was just a good progression. Um, but yeah, what about pacing of the book for you? Did you find bits where you were like, oh, this is slow? or um, The beginning, maybe, for me. Yeah, but the beginning of these books are always slow. They should be, if like, you're building a real world. Because you're, you're, you're building the world, right? You're showing where things are. and um, No, I, I, I think it was a good pace. I think it moved along fast enough. I think it did jump around a little bit too much for me. Okay. Like whether or not I, I struggled to understand where we were in some places. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I would agree. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. No, I mean, yeah, not in bad as in I didn't enjoy it. No, no, no. yeah. Um, I mean, it's the most non forty k forty k book I've ever read, yeah. and that's not in a bad way at all. Very yeah. grounded. I felt like you could give this to anyone that's not massively invested in forty k and they could enjoy it. There wasn't much crazy forty k admec words and weird names and like it just a war on a planet and we're following the air battles mm-hmm. mainly and that 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 was it and i think yeah you could hand it to anyone that enjoys that kind of book and they'd really love it it'd probably be a really good into 40k that i would give to someone mm-hmm. if they wanted to understand what it was um i i love the very human moments and grounded in the real world feel there wasn't much that supernatural it was just skill luck stuff blowing up um, and that that feel was really good. I, I thought this could be a really good mini series or movie. I feel like it's written to you could easily follow these characters throughout a movie and be impacted by their deaths or their successes, and you'd go on on a ride because the characters are that well written. And the thing I also liked was the chapter titles were done in day count. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. So you know, day two six five, day two six six, and you felt like you were continuously moving along with them. Yeah. It's a really great mechanic to help you move along with the people you're reading about. Um, and my one gripe, if I had to choose a gripe, it was that Kaminsky found Jagdia in the whole city of Theda. <laughs> She's by the side of the road and kind of collapsed, crying, like, and hating herself for crying, but just feeling hopeless. I'm going to die here. Um, and I should be up in the air. If I die in the air, that's what I was built to do, kind of thing. And suddenly a truck pulls up and the window kind of rolls down and Kamiski is like, is that you? Get in. And it's like, a bit like, really? Well, like, I mean, I can, you I, can it's explain It's a tiny it. gripe, you can, right? You can completely explain it away, though, can't you? Because it's the whole, on the way out of the city, like, it's not like she was down some weird back alley street nowhere. Yeah, she's on a road, yeah. <laughs> but she's, she's on a road. More than a road. She's, she's, like, she's in the city. Yeah, yeah, but she's not like she's on a main road. Like she's yeah. not like in a side street down a back alley. Yeah, but she is just on a, a main road. It's a giant city. For him to be going down that road at that moment that she was on that road. Yeah. Because yeah, it's such a I, weird gripe. I, I don't know. It's just a little bit like, okay, that's the movie moment. That's the Hollywood moment. That's it. That, that's you're the, right. You're very she right. needs saving. Here comes someone we met earlier who we quite like. And now they're together. Woohoo! Yeah, yeah no, I get it. That. That's what it was. And and again, I didn't hate it. it. I didn't hate it at all. I thought it was cool. Did he have a Russian accent in this? Uh, was it that guy? No, just very gruff. Right. Okay. Like yeah, I could see why you'd say Russian, but yeah, just very like. Ooh. Uh, driving my truck. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I really loved the fact that this isn't a forty k bolter porn book. Mm. Uh, I really love that it's relatable. Um, it's, it's as relatable as it can get in 40k universe um, it's realistic because realistically I or you could be one of these characters uh, I liked how a lot of this was taken from real world examples so like the swamp bugs and the swamp bites and 
the way that operating bases are set up, yeah, um, and 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 the way the towns are decimated but carried on, like very World War Two. Yes, yeah. Um, rationing was in play. Yeah, like I really love the fact that it played on the fact of of um, I, I really this book really played on the fact that I really love World War Two history and books and docudramas and that kind of stuff. It felt very much like you could change all of the forty k names to this in this to like more real world ones. And this could be a very real world example. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I thought it was a great book. I really enjoyed it. Thank you to those who suggested it. Mm. Um, so, yeah. So, moving on. The next book we're going to cover is going to be one of my books. Um, it is a 30K uh, Horace Heresy novel. And we are going to be covering Scars. Indeed. Mainly because it has um, Chikatikan. It has the White Scars. Indeed. It has Space Wolves in it. Yay. And it has Alpharius and all of the um, all of the weird stuff that goes on. <laughs> cool, so, yeah. I'm and looking also, forward to it. it doesn't hurt the fact that it's the next one in my ring list. Yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so we're going to take a quick break, come back with our goodbyes, and uh, yes. Want to stroke Sam's ego so I don't have to as much? Then please leave the Adepsis Terror podcast an iTunes review if that's the platform in which you listen to them on. The reviews do help them to at least attempt to do better and it does make their little faces light up when they see the five stars. So do the right thing and leave them a review. Thank you. Am I done? No. Hello and welcome back. This is the kind of end of the show, I guess. Ends and goodbyes and stuff like that. Hobby-wise, what are you doing? Yeah, I am going to try and finish off my Night Lord Assault Squad. Sweet. I'm they, gonna, they, go on, I was just going to say they should be done um, the end of this month, so I feel like I feel confident I can finish them this month. Yeah. <laughs> no, good. You should feel confident. I, I'm going to finish Sanguinius. Oh, nice. He's going to be done. That's cool. It's it's very minimal promise for me, but it's going to be finished. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's good because then you've got extra stuff that people haven't heard about and not expecting. Yes. It's nice. It's all a secret. Yeah. Um, but Sanguinius, he's going to get done. Uh, awesome. It's about time he gets finished and then that way I can play him. Yeah, I'm going to try and play a game as well this month, whether it's 30k or 40k, yes. whatever happens. Let's do it. But I need a game. And then I, really I can play my full Blood Angel list. Yeah. Yes. Um, next poll. Uh, the next poll is uh, which Primark <laughs> would you want to punch in the face and the uh, face the most and why? It's already up on our Facebook page. People is, have already started commenting. Um, some of them are pretty spectacular. Awesome. Um, and uh, I look forward to seeing what everyone else says. Indeed. Uh, well, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, we really enjoyed being together again in the same room and being able to bounce off each other. Do you know what? I did think the other day, I haven't hugged you in six months. I know, sad. Makes me want to tear up. It does. <laughs> with that bromance shared, we're going to leave you now. So hopefully you enjoyed the episode. We really did. We look forward to next episode. Um, lots more to talk about, I'm sure. Hopefully more hobby and more gaming. Uh, but until next time, I've been Matt. And I've been Sam. And this has been the Adeptus Terra podcast. Stay safe. Thanks for listening to another successfully recorded episode of the Adeptus Terra podcast. Join the conversation on the Adeptus Terra Podcast community safe room on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram at the Adeptus Terra Podcast or email at the Adeptus Terra Podcast at gmail.com if you just want to chat to Matt. Thanks again.